Bitcoin. You lot. You're listening to Garage Hammer. Episode 126. On tonight's episode, the Manlings talk about the fat Manlings' time at Gen Con and all the things he heard at the Warhammer Age of Sigmar booth. Shut up! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the Garage, you tools. For the next two hours or thereabouts, we're going to do the best we can, keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you Baleful Realm Gates and Ophidian Archways. I'm Chris Yu. And I'm the sad, sad bipolar mess. <laughs> so it's uh, pretty much status quo. <laughs> you tool. <laughs> what is bringing about this uh, bout of depression? Oh, you know what? I'm so bipolar over Age of Sigmar. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm, there's days that I'm just like having a blast with it. And there's other days where I just I just want to ram my head against the wall. And I know I'm not the only one feeling this way. Um, you know, I mean, things happen. You sure. Know? Well, you got to keep in perspective. It is just a game at the end of the day. Well, yeah. It's just, you know, you're like trying to, I'm just trying to figure things out. And it's just like, oh, well. It, it's, it's funny, you know. It's the way I see it is like, it's like, oh, I don't know how to have fun. Ah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm going to rage because I don't know how to have fun anymore. Well, it's it's weird, and we'll we'll talk more about this later. But I mean, being, you know, what part of it is, um, and later on we'll take. Harris and I have been playing just with the box set, and we've been having fun. And anytime I try to do or put together anything sort of outside of the box set, it gets a little weird and hinky. Uh, and I think part of it is mm. trying to shake that. Warhammer fantasy mentality and get into a Warhammer Age of Sigmar mentality. Remember how? Remember how when we went from seventh and eighth, and it was like kind of hard to shake your seventh ed lists. Right. Yeah. The, the old mindset is, is after having played it for so many years, it's hard to yeah. change. And going to a completely new game system, I'm not just trying to shake eighth ed. I'm trying to shake Warhammer fantasy from my head, right. and it makes for some difficult times. So, but. Uh, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about these things later. Okay. But first, we should thank our sponsors. Yes. you. Thank you to Unique Gifts and Games, located in... Gray's Lake, Illinois. Mircea Miniatures. How's that spelled? M-I-E-R-C-E hyphen miniatures. Mantic Games. Building Bigger Armies. And the one and only Rank and Flank Massive Army Game still out there. Filling that void. There you oh, go. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you want to protect your ranks and flanks, you can always go to Battle Foam, protecting your ranks and flanks and your arm. And your arm. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> it feels incomplete if you don't I, say I, that. I was gonna, yeah. I wasn't going to say ranks and flanks, and you said it. I was like, okay, I'll try it. It's got A's in both words. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. So... I've got a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Mantic just uh, re-upped with us mm-hmm. for the, you know, I, I saw Ronnie at Gen Con. We're going to have an, he's, we've got, I got an interview with him. Um, I know last, I know last episode I said I'm not releasing any outside of the show episodes, but Mantic's been a sponsor of ours for a long time and Ronnie and I talked for quite a bit. So I don't even really need to edit that. I'm just going to drop that as its own little mm-hmm. side thing, probably in a couple of days. 
Oh, I might have already done it. You don't know. It's the <laughs> magic of not knowing what I'm doing. Well, it's, I would imagine it's an exciting time for him. I'd be curious to hear what he says, would have to say, given the current landscape of things. We had a great conversation at Gen Con, um, and a lot of what it came down to is him basically saying, listen, the rules are online right now for free. Mm. If you try that out and you like it and you want the, the you know you want the whole rule set, uh, the PDF's online for twenty five bucks and the book is just right now about to ship for the for the Kickstarter backers. Mm-hmm. So the book should be in stores within about a month, and that's forty if you want the hardcover book. And he's like, "You've already got the models. Try the free rules. If you like it, your buy in is twenty five bucks for the PDF, forty bucks if you'd like a book." He goes. That's, yeah, that's pretty affordable. Yeah, nice. already breaking my. I'm not going to put out extra episodes rule, but I, I kind of, I feel like I owe it to Ronnie. So, sure. But um, we've been once again been inundated with emails. Um, lots of people offering to help out with uh, co-hosting. Okay. You know, uh, and uh, I've contacted. I haven't contacted everybody. I've got. I already had people lined up for the next three, four episodes, and. You know, once you and I are done, and so mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk to you and be like, "Yeah, that'd be great." Uh, you know, I'll get back to you in six months. You know, like right. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. So, you know, if, right. if you've if if you've emailed me, trust me, I know everybody, and I will be getting in touch with people. Um, lots of emails from people, um, and thank you for all the well wishes. You know, people saying, "Hey, you know, your your health and your kids are more important than a podcast." Um, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, a lot of like, good notes about, uh, you know, wishing me well as well. Uh, yeah. And again, it, it almost sounds like I've passed away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Well, people are sad that you're not going to be on the show. Let's face it. You're the one they love. I'm the one oh, who just No, it up. I don't know about that. Well, I'm, I'm still around. I know. via Twitter, Facebook, whatever. So. Well, and you might, hopefully you'll be around for our, uh, hopefully you'll be around for the uh, live, or not live, but for the, uh, re- we're going to record at Unique Gifts and Games soon. Mm. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll be around for that. And obviously, if we're going to talk about Infinity, you're you you are the local, you're our resident expert on it. You know, based you know. Oh, I I wouldn't go that far. Well, right? I mean, as far as guys who are in, in our in our group in NW two, you are. You know. Oh yeah yeah. So, I'm happy to represent in that in that capacity. Exactly. And let's face it, anytime you come back, it's just going to be like, you know, it'll be like a ratings spike. Chris is there listening. <laughs> yeah right. You mean another ratings drop? Oh, whatever. Okay, but <laughs> we also got uh, so we got a lot of emails. Um, you know, it's so funny. Uh, I got some emails today about uh, you know the the Swedish comp. The Swedish guys are working on you know the new ninth or whatever they're calling the eight point five. That they're mm. it's it's in its its rough stages. People polishing eighth. Um, I got some emails from some guys who it's like still are playing like third edition and sixth edition. Wow! Like they got some guys are playing third. Some guys are playing sixth. And they're sort of playing their, you know, so they're like, you know, no, none of the old versions are necessarily dead. It's not a huge growing tournament scene. Sure, right. It's uh, Finding opponents, I think, would be the tricky tricky part. Right. But so, I mean, and there's people playing all sorts of stuff. There's people who are hoping that we're going to cover more of a mix of games, you know. So, I mean, there's yeah. a lot, lot, of, lot of people really supportive of basically kind of whatever we do. Um, I did get a few people asking when we're going to start covering Age of Sigmar fluff. I'm like, yeah. yeah, they're like, we're looking forward to it. I'm like, I'm getting to it. Don't worry about it. We're getting there. So, right. Um, and then we got a few voicemails. We got a couple of, uh, we got two that are slightly longer and a couple that are shorter. Um, but we do have a voicemail. And Chris, you know, we have 
the voicemail. Yes, but the question is, if someone wants to leave a voicemail, how can they do that? They simply have to call 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. For those of you who don't have letters on your phone, that's 1-757-447-4696. International callers for most countries dial 001-757-GH-SHOW-6. We had someone on the forums recently asking how to, how to get to the voicemail. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I say it in every show. And right. It's, it's in the show and, notes. It's in the show notes. Right. Like, Maybe we should just you... title this episode the, the phone number. <laughs> <laughs> that way you can't miss it. I can't title it that because when we get to episode 17574474696 in, in 100 years. Yeah, we're going to be pr- pressed for a... Yeah, well, then, uh, then they'll overlap. People get right. confused. So, but, um, so here, uh, got a few... Uh, voicemails, and I am going to play them for us right now. Just give me a second here. Um, I think you'll recognize this person right away once this starts. Spam. What is your plan for spam going forward? Do you have a spam plan? With Chris gone, will Nickel continue to to provide spam and spam-related products? Have you thought about all the implications on the spam front in this move? Have you thought about spam replacement? Will you instead get shipments of Polish kibasa? Have you really thought this through? Spam lovers want to know. I think you recognize that voice. Oh, yeah. It's good to hear from Cranky. Yes. Cranky sort of uh, has fallen a bit off the face of the planet. Yeah, he's, he's gone uh, yeah. off the radar. But uh, certainly good to hear from him. And that's, he brings up a good question. Well, you know, I will always love spam. I know you do. Uh, oh, yes. Maybe that's a prerequisite for the new co-host. You know, uh, do, what, what are the thoughts on spam? What <laughs> recipes can they bring to the table? I think so. You know, I, I, uh, I, I had spam today. Nice. Yeah, Harrison... Uh, Harrison's got band camp, so weeks before everyone else is starting school, he's back in. So Dad got up this morning before taking in a band camp and cooked him up some spam sandwiches for a nice... I, I actually had it on a sandwich. Oh, you, okay, here's how you take it. You take the spam and you cut it, you slice it into those, you know, the little slices. Sure. And then you fry it up so the edges are nice and crisp. Right. And then you put it on bread. I prefer okay. toast. And I will usually put a little bit of hot sauce, or you could put some vegetables on it if it's for lunch. But for a breakfast sandwich, mm-hmm. um, I also sometimes I'll, I'll fry up an egg and just put that on it. It's like, you know, basically any breakfast sandwich you could think of, replace the sausage with Spam. Right. That's, it's fantastic. I okay. love it that way. But I turn everything into a sandwich. It's just, uh, you know, I like right. I do. I put everything on bread. I get yelled at by people. My wife, we go out for breakfast, and I'm taking the omelet and cutting it off and putting it on the rye toast and eating it like a sandwich. It's just like, what that's, are you doing? Yeah, that's, that's okay. We eat everything with rice, and we do the same thing with Spam. Exactly. Eat it with the big bowl of rice. Good e- stuff. Exactly. So uh, we got another voicemail. Um, so we're going to play the next one, and mm-hmm. we get a, this one's from Rocky again. So hold on. Here we go. Hey, Dave, Chris. It's Rocky. Same with us again. Another thing I didn't get to mention on my last episode voicemail was that Age of Sigmar is the perfect game for somebody who works a whole heck of a lot because it's simplified. 
I played 40K in other games, and I played Infinity and War Machine, and I, you know, didn't get into those because 40K had a ton of rules, and it took a while to learn. And I play that, and I finally, after a couple of years, got the aesthetic and, and how it works and all the rules down, and I play that like once a month. And I work about 60 hours a week. So for Age of Sigmar, you know, I can just show up with my son. Hey, let's play two War Scrolls, and let's just go at each other with the two War Scrolls. And he loves it. And it's easy to pick up and easy rules, and I don't have to memorize a whole bunch of stuff. It actually works perfect for me. And it might not be for everybody, but I think that it is definitely a great game and, and before anybody knocks it you've definitely got to try it and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about it after you try playing the game and I do appreciate all the info about Infinity because I tried it once and because it had so much I kind of backed away but I think I might try it again uh, try it out again, it sounds great um, it, it, as soon as you get everything I guess, all the rules and everything but anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there and you guys have a great day. Cool. Thanks, Rocky. Yeah, that was a nice message. It's funny. I was on a forum, I can't remember what, and there was people who were saying that there's a lot of people talking about how now they're playing with their kids or their wife mm. who, well, like, okay, Heather's a great example. And in fact, I mentioned, oh, you know, sometimes I'll play with my wife. And Heather's like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, ooh, my, what am I too stupid to play Warhammer? And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> What I'm saying is it's very involved, and you just, like, Heather likes to play a lot of board games. Mm -hmm. Heather, okay, uh, X-Wing, Heather loves hmm. because you got a couple of cards, a couple of models, a couple of things, and she's a, she's a, she loves to game. She's a gamer. Mm -hmm. But putting 100 models on the table and having 180-page rule book, she's just like, no. You know? Yeah, it's a little more involved, I think, than she and, would want to get. And I think a lot of people are like that, but people were commenting, they're like, who are all these people whose wives and kids are suddenly playing? And they're like they were they were insinuating that this was fake. Like GW was sending people just to say that. Mm. Um, but honestly, that's Harrison and I are playing games now together, kind of regularly, um, because he's like, let's pull out the box set and just play out that scenario. Throw a couple pieces on the board. Um, so it is. Well, it's, I think it, it lives in a slightly different uh, area than Fantasy Eighth did. Oh, absolutely. Quicker to play, quicker to learn, right? You, right. You probably, I suppose you could play with much less or yes. much more, whichever the case may be. So it's, it seems like it's more flexible in that regard. Well, one of the scenarios that we had a lot of fun with, he had uh, the three uh, the three models, three of the guys with the big, uh, the big like the Terminator-looking guys, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the one champion. And I had like the 20 Marauders. Oh, and, quality versus quantity, then? Well, and I ran in at him, and I had three turns. And at the end of three turns, I reset. I took all 20 of them, started them back at the other end of the board again. But he didn't get to reset anything. So whoever died or wounds he took stayed. And mm. oh, his, one, his one guy in the back could heal, but the, he had to f survive three rounds of three turns. Like, that was the scenario. Mm -hmm. Really sort of cool thing that we were able to play with just a couple of models, you know? Mm. So with the scenarios, it was kind of fun. But we'll get more to that later. All right, we have one last voicemail, and then we're going to take our first break. So uh, let me play. This one is from uh, Brandon from Columbia, South Carolina. Hi, this is Brandon from Columbia, South Carolina. Um, just moved to the Mid-Atlantic region and looking forward to doing some GTs here. I just want to thank you, uh, 
Chris and Dave for just a great show, and I've been listening for about six months now and just really impressed with the good coverage and things. And um, and I wanted to say that um, I've played some games of Age of Sigmar, and I do like the game. Um, I like the – I don't necessarily like the aesthetic because I, I enjoy the ranked units and the opportunity to convert some uh, – uh, regimental bases in the middle of the unit to make the unit pop. Um, but at the same time, I do think tactically, while it does seem simple on the front end, I do feel like with the uh, synergies you can accomplish with the various heroes and units together, that tactically, I think, in in the long run, it's actually probably more tactical than 8th edition. Now, I know there's plenty of people that will disagree with that, but... But I think you definitely have to play several games to really get that down um, and really see the uh, the tactical nature of the game. It is different. Um, it is easy to pick up, but I think in the end it'll be hard to master. Um, and two things that um, I was wanting to know if you guys were going to touch on. I haven't li- listened to your full podcast, the most recent one. But um, well, get on. one uh, for those people that are still looking for a game of ranked troops. What about War Throne from Avatars of War? Uh, the rules seem pretty nice, and it's only like 45 pages uh, of rules for the rule book. And they're coming out with uh, Warhammer fantasy-based armies um, for uh, those army lists on their uh, on the Avatars of War website. It's something to consider. But also, um, the um, uh, I'd like like to hear about you guys playing through the scenarios in the book, but also playing like a 100 wound or 100 model uh, battle um, with uh, your old armies just to see what you think. Um, because, again, I, I do I do feel like it is an enjoyable game to play, um, and uh, um, but it is it is very much different. Um, so uh, keep up the good work, and I hope to hear responses soon. Thank you. Thanks for the message, Brandon. Um, yeah, you bring up a lot of interesting points. Uh, the Avatars of War game seems like it's an obvious alternative. And I suppose that game has, has always existed, sort of in the background. But uh, I had never really looked into it. But I know that game exists. There's only one reason that I never really looked into it. It's because fantasy was always at the forefront. Well, that and I, um, as much as I enjoy their models, um, getting a hold of them has always been difficult. You I think so? How come? A lot of times you order and they're just it just they're on back order or it takes forever to get them and things like mm. that. That's just been my experience. Um, so I didn't even know they had a full game fleshed out because you know the models have come out sort of so low and slow. So interesting. But, well, that, that seems like it'd, it'd be a good alternative. Yeah, that I haven't played. Like I said, in fact, the one alternative that I've really been enjoying and other people are starting to pick up, and I'm sort of laughing because I'm saying Kings of War two or Kings of War second edition. People are starting to pick up. After three years of me saying it's a good game and people saying, nah, I read those rules. They suck. Now they actually mm-hmm. played it and they're like, hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, well, thanks for playing it now and realizing it. So, Right, right. Well, it's necessity, right? It's, yeah, now they don't have a choice. Uh, they got to at least try it. So, um, But you know what? Let's, uh, that's it for the voicemails. Uh, let's take a break. And when we come back... Um, we'll start out. We got some news and rumors. Ooh, tasty. All right, back in a minute. Okay, 
That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we're back. David Chris on Garage Hammer coming at you with news and rumors. Back, back with the news. Back, back, back. Uh, so, um, all sorts of stuff coming out. Uh, oh, stuff is already out. The Baleful Realm Gates, the Ophidian Archway. Um, I have them. I bought the new piece. Of terrain. Oh, you have them already? Wow. Well, those, they came out last week, actually. They're really nice pieces of terrain. The Realm Gates are really nice looking. Uh, they come with two. Because you can teleport between the two of them, like anybody can. I've heard about that. How do you feel about that in terms of gameplay? Um, I haven't really used them. I just got them. Uh, like I said, I haven't used them because we've been playing out the scenarios from the book. Okay, but in theory, the whole teleportation thing, what, how does that strike you? Well, I mean, you can't move the terrain around. So wherever those two things are set, you know that those are the only two places they can jump to and from. Uh-huh. So it's just another thing if you're prepared for it, you know. Okay. You know, if, you know, if if uh, if if there's only t- if, if 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 I could jump in here and wind up there, well, okay, I I can cover both of those bases. So you know, okay, I, I it's just some of the tournament players. Again, this is where the the road splits. Some tournament players, I've heard talk about that, do not react well to it because it's too game breaking or you know what I mean, too too big of a variable to have to consider. It's it possible. Um, I'm just thinking if I look at the table and I see two. Two, uh, you know, two portals. Two portals. Let's see, right, well, you know I, exactly where they're coming. You know exactly where they're going to be, yeah. and they have to be able to come through it within a certain range. Okay. So uh, remember the old. Uh, remember when they came out with those big domes for that warp wave stuff for forty k? When the, yeah. the yeah, yeah, and people were just like, well, okay, so I put my guys all around it, and your guys can't come out because oh, they have nowhere to deploy. So you could no totally, blockage. yeah, you could use chaff to block the the, the gate up, you know, too. So. Mm. You know, there's stuff like that. The archway is nice. It is hard. That archway is hard to put together. Um, it's actually really simple to put together, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's not the same kind of plastic as the models. I don't know if you heard. Uh, I know Heelenhammer. They were talking about the same thing. It's that. You know what I mean? Like when you put together the GW terrain, like the terrain is a thicker, heavier. Oh plastic. yeah, yeah. The, the, it's, a, it's like a slicker, shinier plastic, right? Right. And uh, basically, you've got this wall, and then it's 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 almost like three. It's like a three three parts of a of a box, right? You know, like the three sides, um, but where they come together on the ends, it's like four pieces, all with uh, like a triangle shape at the end. So you're getting like the four right angles all kind of coming together, um, you know, to to form this this block, and uh, none of them are straight. <laughs> oh, oh, they don't line up. They well, 
They don't. They mine didn't, and I and they're. I mean, they're supposed to be straight and and come in flush, but they're they're just a little bit. All of them are a little bit off of flush. Just off. Can, can you? Um, I suppose the plastic is probably too thick for you to run it under hot water and adjust it. Yeah, it is. So I mean, basically, it's close. So yeah. what I did was I just took the 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 you know the modeling glue and I laid it on really thick. Yeah. And then I sort of held it there together. And then when I thought it was getting close to dry, I had Heather, uh, Heather, I had Harrison grab the uh, my other modeling glue, like the gap mm-hmm. filling glue. And I'm holding mm-hmm. it here in the crack. Just pour it in there. Uh-huh. And so he was just like globbing it in until it sort of filled up. Uh, you could you could probably take some uh, green stuff and sort of roll it up and put sure, it on the fill edges. In the gap there, yeah, and smash way. it together that way too. A little elbow grease. Yeah, but I mean they they look really nice. So. Nice, and they've got those uh, the liberators and the judicators are out now. So you got the guys with the big, the big hammers, that, mm-hmm. and then you've got those uh, the, the the bowmen. And, those guys do look pretty cool. Yeah, and the uh, the guys with those cannons those, those those are like those are like multiple shot crossbows. That's like the champion can have that that thing we were looking at. Oh, I see. They yeah, look like a hand cannon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, if they use that, they've got special rules where they just like it, they can decimate things. Mm. Um, I, you know what? I like the aesthetic of the Sigmarines. I, I like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I just the, I'm one of the people. I, I like the Space Marine look, and I like these. I wish they had faces, but they don't. But I sort of I just like the aesthetic. Like I'm going to paint mine up gold, just like these guys. Right. Uh, eventually, um, and I like sort of what's coming out for them. They're pretty cool. Um, so I'm I'm sort of enjoying it. Uh, I was looking today on the website, and uh, they have another piece of terrain coming out available uh, Saturday called a Numinous Oculum, which looks like a torn down wall with a giant globe, like it, like you know, mm. like uh, in it. And that's here. All these pieces of terrain each have special rules. That's yeah, the impression I'm getting. So your table is going to be chock full of lots of different crazy terrain, then, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not certain how I feel about that. I, I actually wrote that down because, um, you know, they say anywhere between zero to three pieces. If you follow the random chart, you're going to get zero to three pieces per every two square feet. So you figure there's six segments of the board that mm. are going to average two pieces a piece, twelve pieces of terrain. How big is your average piece of terrain that they're releasing? Um. I mean, they're not too big. I mean, um, like five by five, or oh, those realm bigger? gates are about uh, yeah, about three by five on the on the base okay. size. Uh, the um, the Ophidian archway is a little wider. Um, you know, it's not too bad. I mean, but they've even got rules. Like, remember when we uh, when I bought, when the Storm of Magic came out and I bought all those um, fulcrums. All yeah, the, all yeah. the fulcrums got a new name. And new rules, so you could use but those too. But they're usable, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just about all that. It, I mean, the 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 wizard's tower, the little chapel, you know, the little building, mm. uh, all that. In fact, remember when you could buy the one that came with the fortified manor, which was the chapel, the tower, and the fences and walls. Yeah. If you actually put all of that together as the fortified manor, it's got its own rules too. Oh, okay. So, like, but I mean, they're right. Every piece of terrain that they're still selling has special rules. So I'm just like, well, dang, because this can get confusing at some point. I think, right? Um, well, I mean, if but I'm kind of how many they put out. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool. And like, you don't have to play with all the special rules. It's your game. I'm sure. certain that there's going to be people, especially if they're doing tournaments, where they're like, you know, we're just going to follow some basic terrain stuff. You know, right? So interesting. Um, 
the big thing that I saw in the um, is the uh, paladins are coming out. Have you seen these guys? They're the guys with those really long glaives. Oh, I have seen those. Those are cool. Okay. You know that's one of three possible... Configurations? Yeah. Okay. The guys with Mm. the glaives are called protectors. And if they roll a six or better, and because you can get plus ones to hit, Mm -hmm. so a plus one to hit and you roll a six, obviously that counts as a seven. Um, So if you can roll a six or better, they do D6 wounds to monsters instead of just one. So, like, against Ow. monsters, those guys are good if they can roll sixes. Um, plus, minus one to anyone shooting them because they use those glaives to bat down. I mean, they're kind of like sword masters. Yeah, the old sword master defense. It, it actually says that if they're in between the shooters and the shooter's target, a unit of them, you're minus one to hit whatever you're shooting at. Because if they're in between, mm. they're going to try to knock down the projectile weapons. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Then the other guys are retributors. they got these big hammers. And they do uh, they do two damage per wo- you know two wounds per oh I per, see per wound it does two damage so the hammer guys do a little more damage and then there's the decimators who have really fancy looking axes mm-hmm. and their special rule is they can do one attack for every enemy model in the unit that's in range so if you got three guys around them that that model gets to do three attacks interesting so yeah so it's like basically they're swinging that axe and like spinning it around hitting everything in their range so that's your uh, your horde specialist yeah i mean it's just it's ridiculous um and they're kind of scary i guess because they can hit so many things so they add two to your battle shock rolls for enemy units that are close by and that's one you just buy that one box and you could you know so people you know Right. It's, it's one kit that you can buy three times and have three separate units. How many per kit? Ten? There's five models per kit. Five per, okay. Yeah, they're not cheap. They're big models, but they're not they're not cheap, and you don't get a ton of them. Um, and that's uh, – that's, actually, I have some – I want to bring that up in a little bit when we get through what's upcoming about these uh, – especially the all these uh, Sigmarite models and the stuff that they're doing. So. Okay. Um, Let's move on real quick because there's one more thing that's coming out. Uh, apparently, the quest for Galmaraz is going to go up uh, for pre-order. I think when this episode comes out, it should be up for pre-order. It's the next book. Oh. Three weeks later, like four or four weeks later. It's another The next seven book, th- and is that like a continuation of the story yep. slash additional army lists? Yep. It's, uh, it's, another, it's another campaign book. Like the, the Age of Sigmar book, the one that just came out that everyone's been buying, or not everyone, but you know the the thick book. It's got the four page rules, about eight scenarios, uh, more unit entries, more battle formations, and then moving the story and explaining the story. Right. This is moving the story a little further and giving you more scenarios, more models, more more uh, more uh, war scrolls. Huh. Uh, it's another seventy four bucks. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure it's not going to be cheap, but I think that that will be. A good gauge to see where this game is headed. Well, and here's my thing. I think they're going to come start coming out fast and furious with these books, like like one a month or every few yeah, until they can lay out a few realms because, mm-hmm. um, you know, be, because they need to. They need to get these other realms and these other races out. Right. You know, give people options. Right. Yeah. Get them excited to play. Exactly. I mean, I'm feeling a little hinky about it because I'm still applying aloe to those end times book burn that I've got. You know. Right. right. But <laughs> for, for those not in the Midwest, when you say hinky, what does that mean exactly? I just it's like it's okay. A seventy-five dollar book every five weeks. Uh, I just uh, it, 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 
I don't feel a hundred percent right about it. Like I just sort of right. It's a it's a tall order to say the least. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much my monthly you know model or you know hobby budget hobby going. Yeah, yeah. In, in in a book. Um, but uh, you know that's that's another thing. Actually, I was talking to the GW guy at the booth at Gen Con, so we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay. Um, but that's it for what's upcoming. That's like the news. Um, we don't have much in the way of rumors, but I did want to bring up something here. I don't know if you've got. If, I don't know if you've been on the GW website recently. Not recently. You know what? Take a look at it at some point. Okay. They've got it's split up now. When you go on, you know, on the little side, when you used to click on armies and it lists all the armies. Yeah. Now it lists factions, or no, it lists Grand Alliance. Okay, chaos, death, order, and destruction, which are those four big factions, you know. Okay. Then it lists uh, has a tab that just says factions, which lists all the old armies: elves, dwarfs, orcs, and goblins, okay. tomb kings. Right. Then there's a, t- a tag that has races, and I click on that, and it says elf, beast, man, demon, duarden, grot, human, mortal, mummy, ogor, uruk. Seraphon, Skaven, Skeleton, Sylvaneth, Trogoth, and Vampire. Okay? And mm. you click on those, and I'm like, okay, what's up with this? Like, it's it's literally making me hold off on buying things. Like, I, there was a few things I wanted to grab for my VC army because if you've noticed, I mean, there's some rumors that as they bring out new stuff, some of this stuff's going to start dropping off. Mm. Um, there are 326 kits from the old line. Well, I mean, the only stuff on the new line is the new, the the box set and the Sigmarines, but mm-hmm. 326 different kits are now online only, or your store has to order them direct. If you if your friendly local gaming store orders, it's a direct order. Well, the, the way they have it organized, it seems like it'd be information overload. I mean, what are you supposed to? I mean, I wouldn't know where to start. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you can you can click on the old list and just find the stuff you want to buy. But like I said, a lot of it's becoming direct order only. So it's like, well, okay, so they're not generally carrying a lot of this stuff in the stores. Um, like when I clicked on Vampire, the Vampire listed all the – it had all the Vampire model characters, and it had Blood Knights, Vargeists, Vargolfs, Terrorgeists, and Coven Throne. That's all that was under Vampires. When I clicked on Mummy, it's the casket and all the Tomb King's character models, nothing else. Hmm. So it's like, well, is that a race? And I mean, because that's just – like how is this breaking down? Like what is going right. on? Why? What, yeah. Why are they organizing it like that? Doesn't make right. any sense. And here's the thing that kind of got me going is so then I clicked on mummy and it had that, and I clicked on vampire. Then I clicked on skeleton, and it had skeletons and graveguard and all the skeleton models from the Tomb King army. Basically anything that is a skeleton. Um, nowhere in any of these new lists did I find zombies. Uh-oh. And I actually had, I went, what is this? And I typed up zombies in the search, and I got it. And when I clicked on it, the zombies came up, and it said, check their PDF, you know, if you want to see the rules. Yeah. And I clicked on it, and it took me to the vampire counts scroll. So they're only in the vampire counts list. They are not mm-hmm. even in any of the new. So I'm like, well, are there going to be zombies in the new Age of Sigmar? Yeah, a like, good are, question. I mean, now, granted, you can play your old armies because they have lists for it, but it's just, I don't I, I, I don't know what's going on. And the yeah, website, I don't know if that's a, a temporary band aid or if they're going to you know finalize slash formalize those old lists into something more realized. Right, because I'm just when they break down these lists of races, like I'm so used to seeing the races being things you can buy. 
Right. And they've got elf and beast men. And then there's human and mortal. And I didn't get time to look at all of these because I'm wondering where – I don't know where they put the Bretonians. But then there's Grotz and there's Oryks. So goblins and ogres have their own list now. Are they their own race? Do they not mix anymore in the New Age of Sigmar? And we don't know any of this because the books only laid out the demon realm a little bit, Sigmar's realm, and then you got a little bit of the Sylvaneth, which is basically anything from the wood elf lists that's not actual elves, all the tree spirit stuff. Right. So it's like dryads and branch race and tree men, and that's that's the Sylvaneth, you know? Mm. So it's like, are these literally all going to be races? Because that's not a really full race, or maybe races don't really matter because they all fall under the Grand Alliance. They're all either chaos, death, order, or destruction, and you can just pick and choose from any of the races that fall under those bigger categories. I don't know, and there's no explanation anywhere that I can find. So, Yeah, I, I, if I were you, I'd just kind of wait, hold off on, on doing anything, really, and wait for that dust to settle. Yeah, because I mean, really anything could happen, literally. Exactly, and I, I have no idea what they're going to do. And it's, and it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm gun shy. I'm gun shy on picking up stuff. Like I knew Kathleen ordered an Epidemius for me and some of the Plague Drones because I'm like, well, they're still going to have Nurgle, and I love playing Nurgle stuff. Um, you know, but then it's like, well, do I want to get uh, the Screaming Skull catapults? Because when Christopher gave me stuff, he wasn't able to find those and. You know, I'm not going to sit here and bug him every time he comes home to go dig for models sure, for me. Right. You know, he's like, I'll get them to you eventually. I'm like, well, I might want to play them, but now do I even want to? Because are they carrying that over? Because as they start to do stuff with new aesthetics, mm-hmm. yeah, I just I have no idea what's going on. Um, well, you can always purchase them and use them in your eighth edition games. <laughs> in the oh, meantime, yeah. oh yeah. So I just like I said, I don't, and that's actually when we get to the toolbox. I want to because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention about how uh, I am really I've I've sort of come to a de- some decisions with what I'm at least my hobbying so but I think that's it for news and rumors that's like everything that and, and my okay. confusion so right hopefully that's uh, that's everything so um, why don't we take another break and we'll come back with our toolbox sounds like plan all right folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mears Miniatures at MearsMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish-level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mears Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com. Com, and seriously, guys, you'll be glad you did.
Yeah, here we are. We're back. We are. We're back. Bipolar Betty and Chris Hugh here, coming in, <laughs> Age of Sigmar. All right, Toolbox brought to you by KROG Superstore. That's going to be the next thing, is the person who who comes in as the co-host is going to be willing to say all the dumb things that I make you guys say. Like, hey, it's, it's part of the job. You know? It's part of the gig. Right. You're going to be willing to make silly comments. Okay. Um, you doing any reading other than your infinity rules? Actually, uh, no. <laughs> Me neither. Well, I mean, I'm reading <laughs> oh, Mechanicum. Well, I'm do- I mean, I'm reading Mechanicum, okay. and I've got that stuff. But I mean, nothing. Nothing I didn't mention last episode. It's pretty much the same. Gotcha. Still plugging along. Status quo. Okay. Cool. Plugging away. Taking my gotcha. notes. Some guy came up to me. I, I saw a bunch of people at Gen Con who were fans of the show, and I was talking to this one gentleman. And I'm, I'm guys. Everyone who listens to the show knows I'm horrible with names, um, and I totally have forgotten some of the names of some of the people that I was. Uh, talking to but uh, i was talking to this guy over by the malifaux booth and he was talking he's like hey you know i love the show and stuff and we're talking about things he goes yeah and by the way yeah get finished reading that mechanicum i want to hear your review (laughs) i'm like i'm working on it wow so yeah well hurry up david I'm, i'm working on it um so you know that's it for the reading i guess so okay. why don't you let us know what you're uh what you're modeling uh, modeling still plugging away on my, you know, infinity stuff. I, you know, I wonder if the, the AOS contingent of our listeners is sick of hearing about that yet. I um, hope not, man. Dude, seriously. I mean, we've never only played one game. I mean, we were primarily fantasy, but we've always had other games that we fiddled with. And infinity's sure. great. I heard, I heard Grant got hooked before the tornado came through. Yeah. Yeah. We were playing a demo game and right when we were getting into the thick of it, towards the end of the first turn of a three turn game. The lights cut out and tornadoes landed, and so yeah, we had to. That's cut scary as short. hell. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I work, working on those guys. Uh, I have been doing a lot more airbrushing as of late, so getting you know gradations in using two different colors, and that's been um, a lot of fun actually. Really, so I'm getting in closer and closer in on details and uh, learning to do more with it as time goes on. Yeah, I'm kind of getting jealous. You're way better with it than I am. I've never, I haven't been able to ever really use it. Um, well, a, I think you you have to, you definitely have to get your airbrush station, whatever that is. Yeah, that situation settled. So we we're talking off air about you're getting that uh, um, that air filtration system, the ventilation system. I think yes. you need to get that because currently, like you were saying on the last show, I can only do it in the garage, and it's a hot right. mess well, working in the garage. Yeah, and to set that up every time in the garage. I mean, that's. You're, you're never going to airbrush them. Right. So, yeah, so, I definitely need a filtration system. Um, and then, that way you can do it year-round. Yeah, that's that's my hopes right now. Yeah, you should, you should definitely put your your monthly ho- hobby allocation towards that. That's Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Um, I spent Actually, we, we spent way less at Gen Con than we normally did because I just kept looking at things saying, I don't really need that, mm. and I really need to get – there are things I do need. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so doing that, I, I did have a little bit of a an issue with my airbrush, my first one, in that it was I would cut the paint with some water slash rubbing alcohol, uh, isopropyl right. alcohol, and I would I would mix it, and it would curdle inside the airbrush and come out of the airbrush like silly string. I'm like, this is what? not good. Yeah, I'm like, what am I doing? So I, I cleaned the airbrush multiple times and disassembled it, reassembled it. It turns out that that particular brand of paint. When you cut it with isopropyl alcohol, it curdles. What brand of paint was, was that? Uh, it's some generic brand from uh, Hobby Lobby. Oh, I, I okay. forget what it is. I'm telling you, try Minotaur. I'm going to have to, yeah. 
But uh, it's, but since that whole episode, after I've cleaned the airbrush, I've just been cutting it with just straight water, and it seems to be working fine. So yeah, it, when when it's when the silly strings started coming out, I'm like, well, I hope this airbrush isn't done for. But luckily, uh, you know, was able to get around that. Well, that's good because yeah, that's you spend a lot of money on that stuff, and then you're like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was afraid I, would ha- I was going to have to scrap it. Well. Um, as far as additional hobby. Yeah, we, me, Grant and I got our uh, demo game in. Um, we, I am planning uh, an Infinity event here at my place sometime in October, I think. So it'll be a, kind of a weekend-long event for basically new players for to Infinity and, and maybe a few veterans, but mostly ex-Warhammer Fantasy players. So it's kind of like getting the old crew together to try out this new game. Excellent. So. And it's dude, it's it's worth it. Seriously, I mean, it's 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 a little intimidating when you first start playing. Yeah, but I think if everyone is in the same boat, it's much more comfortable to. Yeah, you know, if you're not the only new person, then it's easier to, you know, have that group mentality about learning something new. Exactly. So looking forward to that as well. So that should be that should be good. Cool. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it. How about yourself? All right. Well, um, I've been cleaning up down here, and I'm at the final stages of putting gunk away, and I've started going through my stuff, my Warhammer stuff, um, putting the store away, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that I okay, so I'm not going to be touching this for a while, I'm not going to be doing this, um, and I put away all my, uh, I put away everything, like all my painting projects, I put away all my dwarfs, I hmm. put them all into battle foam, protecting my army, and put it mm-hmm. away, right? Um, until I know what I'm doing, I'm not doing anything with it. Like I'm not going to keep painting my fantasy models. Um, sure, I have no idea if, if you're going to be using them. I, I mean, that's a, that's a fair response. I mean, all I've been using right now is that stuff in the Age of Sigmar box, and that I'm not bothering to paint right now because I only play with Harrison, and Harrison doesn't consider himself a very good painter, and because he doesn't consider himself a good painter, he doesn't like to paint. Hmm. So he doesn't care if we're playing with bare plastic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If an event comes up, AOS tournament at UGG or Adepticon or wherever, oh, paint is ad- required. By would Adepticon, you... I, would have, I, would, I, will, I will have a painted army ready for Adepticon. Really? I'm okay. planning on going. Well, I mean, okay. but who knows? With that, I mean, I, mean, I could be bringing – I mean, I have to bring something. Heck, I could bring my – I may have to rebase and work on my, my, my VC just to sure. bring those. But that will have something. But right now, it's just I, – I, I don't have the heart for it. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm right. enjoying if you don't have a passion got. for it, it's certainly hard to pick up a brush. I'm fortunate that, you know, I've got Harrison who likes Age of Sigmar. He- uh, you guys like Infinity. Heather likes Malifaux. And the night before, I had put away all my Warhammer stuff, and I pulled out her Lilith crew. And that's what I'm working on right now. It's like Oh, eight- you're actually painting it. Oh, yeah. It's like eight models. You know, it's just it's a small basic crew. I don't even know if it's really good in, in the new second edition of Malifaux, but... We won't know until we play it, and we can't play it until it's painted because sure, it's <laughs> you know if it if it is only eight models. Once you get that ventilation hood situation done, that's I would airbrush an experiment on those guys. That's not a bad idea. That's really not a bad idea at all. You have nothing to lose; they're being painted anyway, so right. might as well. So I'm um, I'm working on uh, that crew right now. We'll okay. See how that so goes. so what's the schedule? When should we uh, next episode? We'll have a, we'll have a check in. Sure. Well, that, okay, you know what? Yeah, we used to do that. Christopher and I used to do that. Our little yeah. uh, hobby, our hobby commitment. Yeah, yeah. Next episode, I will. I will report. I'm going to be making progress on the Lilith crew. So I'm hoping to have at least everything 
you know, sort of base coated and shaded a little bit, but you know, then they start getting into right. the details. Um, it's going to be weird for me because I, I, I don't, I don't think any models in that crew are duplicates. Well, yeah, it's only eight or twelve, right, right? But I mean, sometimes, like I know, like my Rasputina crew had three little ice gammons, so like three little ice monsters, which, you know, they're different poses, but they're basically the same model. Like I could paint all three of them together. Mm. I don't think I have anything in that one crew that's like the same, like multiple, same, you know. Right. Well, like like even in uh, in uh, Infinity, you know, you might get those three grunts. Sure. Yeah. Three you know, line troops. Yeah. I, I I would say that's look at that as an opportunity. You know, flex your creative uh, muscles a little bit. Yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what I do with this. So, but that's uh, that's what I'm doing, and because I have no idea. I I just I don't know where it's going. You know. Yeah. A little so. hobby paralysis in terms of AOS. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Uh, like I said, I'm, and I'm I'm playing with that new stuff. Um, and Harrison really likes the those Sig, the Sigmarites. You know, he likes them as a as a faction. He likes playing mm-hmm. with them. Um, it's really weird though because they're like the only things that's coming out right now. So it's like I don't even want to buy the new stuff that's not in the box set because the box set is already like sort of leaning towards favoring the Sigmarites, and I've been playing that Chaos Crew, and nothing else has come out for that. Mm. So it's like. I, I, like I said, I'm in a weird, I'm in a weird holding pattern. It's like I really want to love this, and I'm I'm at the point where I like it, not love it, and I'm waiting to see what else is coming out. Because mm-hmm. I mean, they've got to get these Sigmarite stuff out because it's a whole new faction, so they need sure. to get a whole new army out. But it's like, well, I'm kind of interested in what else is going to be there, and uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. So yeah, wait and see, right? Yeah, and I hate being in a wait and see mode, but that's kind of where I'm at. So that's my Lilith okay. crew. And uh, oh, and I did pre-order the uh, Ariadna box set. Okay, cool. I, I broke down and ordered it because now I've got I've got my panel built to play with, right. and Harrison's all curious, and he was looking at that. He's like, "Dad, that looks really cool." I'm like, "Okay, well, you, uh, you know, at yeah. least you can play with it." I, I I can sit down and build models all the time. It's the painting that I, I have trouble sitting down and, and cracking out. I think once you get into a rhythm, though, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, it's hard to build up, a, you know, that initial spark. But once you do that and get into a rhythm, then oh yeah, it comes much easier. Oh yeah, once, and once the machine is on, then it's yeah, then it's going. So right. So uh, that's it for my hobby. You got any other? Other yeah, I did want to mention two shows that I, me and my wife have been really gotten into on the Sci Fi Channel. Oh really? Yeah. One is um, Killjoys. And it's about three bounty hunters that basically, you know, go around and, you know, capture their bounties. And, uh, they, you know, it's life aboard a ship. That's, that's one show. That. I heard that's pretty it's good. It's really good. Really good. Okay. Uh, another one is called uh, Dark Matter, which is a crew of, I think, seven people who wake up on this ship and have no memory of how they got there or who they are. Oh, that's cool. how the show starts. Yeah. And so it's them kind of unlocking parts of their history and how they knew each other in their former lives. That one's really good, too. Um, cool. The Killjoy show is, is rated uh, for mature audiences. So there is some you know, graphic violence, nice. some language, yeah, all the good stuff. Cool. Um, uh, but both shows remind me um, a little bit um, of Firefly. Okay. Um, as well as uh, Battlestar Galactica, the, the the sci-fi version. Okay. Um, you know, all mixed with Life on Board, the Millennium Falcon. So, if any of those appeal to you, and maybe a little bit of um, 
Cowboy Bebop, that, that anime from the, nice. like the 90s. Yeah, all those things wrapped up together, you know, make for two really compelling sci-fi shows. And it's refreshing because sci-fi for the longest time was just a dud network. But you know what? It was like it was repeating old stuff that I liked, and then it was just all these crap movies that they've been putting out. Yeah, like Shark Sharknado, oh, giant squid versus you know super yeah octopus. mega shark and yeah. yeah, it's just come on. I mean, yeah, I know, yeah. you know what? The, the, the joke's over. You know, right. I, I got it. It was kind of funny to do the silly movies, but at this point, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, come on. Yeah, they they've really turned the corner though. So if you're if you're starved for some sci-fi shows, those are two really good ones. Very cool. Um, I've been watching more uh, Netflix stuff. Okay. Uh, Heather's gotten me into Big Brother, and I hate her for it. What? Yeah, she's been watching it. You know what? It's like I'm just kind of spending time sitting around with her. And like when we were on vacation, like we were all in like the cabin. Yeah. And she's like, Big Brother's on. There was like nowhere to go. So it was like on. And I got like sucked into the drama of these 20 somethings all backstabbing each other to win a half million dollars. And I hate myself for it. But I'm Yeah, totally you're, you're dead to me. Shut up. <laughs> Big Brother. Did you watch Big Brother like at night or whatever it was? No, although she subscribes. It's like six bucks a month and you get all the CBS stuff, including the live feeds. Like she listens to the podcast where they discuss oh what's gosh. going on outside like of the show. Well, because I mean, obsessed. The show's on what three times a week for an hour, and they edit down everything that happens over the course of the week into an hour. And so you can't miss anything. You got to well, keep up on. We were driving back who's to Gen Con, what? and she was listening to her podcast about it. And they were talking about like the show. They like we watched the show, and like the way they edited it made it seem like this was going on, but they're like behind the scenes, all this other stuff happened, and I was like. Well, the drama. It was just like, oh, but Heather loves Heather loves reality TV. Like she watches Housewives and she watches all that stuff. So to each their own. Man, it's such a nerdy pursuit. Oh my god! I hate Let's it. get back to Warhammer. I hate myself for it. But, <laughs> um, but what I've been watching on Netflix, um, I've been watching. Uh, I've started watching Marco Polo, which I know has been out for a while. Um, okay. But that's really good. Um, I've got Orange is the New Black on my queue, and everyone keeps telling me to watch it, and I keep looking at it and just skipping it, like not watching it. I don't know why I'm not watching it. Everyone says it's really good. I'm just it, It's pretty good. We saw the first, I think, season and a half, mm-hmm. and it was uh, – I, I liked it. Christine, not so much. It's pretty – you know, has its raunchy moments. Oh, okay. Um, it was, you know, pretty entertaining. Uh, what else? Um, I started watching Sword Art Online. Sword Art? Sword Art Online. Have you seen this? No. What's it's that? an anime. There's only like two seasons out. Okay. Um, all these people go in and they put on... The, it's it's like it's a virtual reality game. It's like an MMO, except you put on this helmet and these gloves, and it's like you're sort of... It's like a virtual... You're like living in the game. Um, hmm. And all these people go in, and the guy who turns the game online, the guy who created it, invented it, like there's the first like... 50,000 people or whatever who signed up got to go into this first oh, first day testing. That's all he could fit in. And they all get in, and he's like, guess what? I've created a world, and I think it's great, and here's the only problem. I'm not letting you jack out, and if you die in the game, you die. And the only way to get out of the game is to get through all the levels and beat the end boss, and, and to for, if anyone can get to the end, you can open it up and let people out. It's a really weird... It's it's almost a it's almost a overused premise, but they actually did a really nice job with it. Like mm. I'm I'm it's I don't know it's that and Attack on Titan are all the all the, the animes that all the kids are telling me to watch. So <laughs> I started watching them and they were pretty good. So oh Attack on Titan, I've actually seen that title thrown about quite a bit. Oh, I just keep getting told I have like that's I, I got like six more episodes of Sword Art and then 
that's what I'm watching next. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you're going to love it. It's so amazing. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, it's uh, a lot of, like, anime T-shirts and stuff that I always I, I pick up once in a while. A lot of them are Attack, Attack on Titan. On Titan. I'm yeah. like, what is this? I've heard of this. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. It, it, do you ever play uh, – do you ever see, remember that game um, – Oh, I forget what the name of the game. The Colossus game. Shadow of the Colossus? No. no. Okay. It's supposed to be something like that, but I don't know. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know what? Let me go through a quick little bit about uh, before we take a quick break. Um, I did go to Gen Con, and so my other's a little bit longer here. I just wanted to mention, um, you know, I demoed a bunch of games. Okay. Um, I played a game called... As you should at Gen Con. Yes. Uh, well, this is actually the first year that I didn't sign up for a lot of writer's symposiums and things like that. Like, I didn't sign up to go see writers and authors and things. Mm-hmm. I just kind of wandered around and got some demos. Um, I signed up for this game called Trailer Park Wars because it had little pink flamingos in it, and Heather likes nice. flamingos. Um, it's That was kind of fun. It's a silly game, but it was kind of fun. Um, that I did, I did pick up Firefly Shiny Dice. It's a two-player dice game. Based on Firefly, uh, we demoed that, and that was really good. Uh, that was from Upper Deck. Um, the Car Wars card game has been re-released, which uh, I played that when I was 14. Christopher Barnett brought it over to my house with my friends Dale and Mike, and the four of us used to play Car Wars, the card mm-hmm. game, which is basically like you know, like Demolition Derby, right? But lethal. You try to you, you shoot missiles oh. and stuff, and you try to break through the armor on your friend's car right. to get to the mushy driver on the inside. <laughs> and, uh, Sounds like fun. Yeah, it is, and it's a simple card game. Like any, like, like you know, seriously, like nine year olds can play it. Like it's really easy to learn, but it is fun. And we played that. Um, uh, I did get a demo of Wild West Exodus. Oh, how'd you like that? Um, I love the models. I love the aesthetic. I'm not a hundred percent certain how much how much I love the game. Um, there does seem to be there was a lot of shooting in it. You know, like people shooting, like not a lot of sort of getting in. But I mean, you know, it's it's. Do you ever get a? Do you ever get the demo for Fantasy or Forty K at the Games Workshop? Like when we first started playing, when they had the two foot board and they would no, demo it for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's like they they skip all of the real subtle nuances and it's sort of like run forward and and roll dice and kind of right. get the basics of it. So I don't. I know I didn't get the full game. The full game. Um, the models are great, and there's some really cool stuff going on there. It's got some uh, bits of, or like it seems, it's got some aesthetics that remind me a little of War Machine, uh, as far as how to how to hit and wound and roll mm-hmm. dice go. Uh, it is a D10 system, so it's a little okay. different. Um, it was fun. Um, yeah, that's a, another game that's really seems to have taken off in terms of alternative games. Yeah, uh, I know Terrain is also huge for that game as well. You need a bunch of it, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, after the next break, I've got Jim Wapple coming on, an interview with Jim Wapple that I did in Gen Con. Excellent. And uh, we talk a lot about painting and models, but then he talks about why he loves Wild West Exodus, because he's been doing a he's, – he's going Wild West Exodus crazy. If you're on our Facebook page, you'll see he posts a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and his stuff's gorgeous. But, uh, As that, always. I did get a demo of Wrath of Kings. And that was another one where the guy demoing it was sort of like just having us run to the middle and hit each other. Mm. And I, I, not a fair assessment of the game. Yeah, I don't. I hate to say the guy gave me a really poor demo, but I felt like I got a really poor demo because mm. he's like, "Okay, you roll." So that means this and this. I'm like, well, "Why did I don't understand? Like, what is this? How does how does this work?" And he's like, "Well, it just kind of does." And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> 
It okay. Kind of does. And I know there's other like I I bought I got a couple of sets and I I've got the rules and I kind of like what I'm seeing, um, but I want to get a demo from someone who's played it a little more and I have a little more time. It does work on a weird sort of system of morale where every couple of models you have is one morale point. Mm. And uh, you, 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 you. I guess you try to break your opponent's morale, not their, not just kill all their models. I see. So that's it's a little different. It was interesting, but I, once again, I don't think I got enough. I, I got enough that I'm interested, but not enough that I can really judge the game. Right. And then finally, uh, Matt Ferrar. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He's uh, Captain Woodrow on Twitter. Oh sure. He was there with his friend Jeremy, and they bought Cthulhu Wars. Hmm. Which is this like two hundred dollar game? Wow! Uh, they were selling it for one seventy at the at Gen Con. Um, it's this huge map of the of the globe, and uh, it's four factions from Cthulhu with like seventy some odd models. I mean, the Cthulhu model is like bigger than your fist. I mean, they got some huge models in there. Hmm. Um, you played uh, you played uh, Chaos in the Old World. Yeah, one we time. Were, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Picture that game, but with Cthulhu, um, the uh, and uh, and Yarlathotep and uh, the, those guys. So it's like the, it's the it's basically it's the same type of game. You got the four factions. You're trying to take control of places. They each have a certain play style. Mm. Um, I was playing the King in Yellow and that, and uh, those guys. You're putting down desecration tokens. So it's kind of like nerd. Cool. It's literally. I'm not too familiar with that uh, that fiction. I know, but I know you're a big fan of it. So oh, I love H.P. Lovecraft. So basically, it, like I said, picture cast in the old world, but with Cthulhu. So if you're into H.P. Hmm. Lovecraft and you've ever played and enjoyed uh, Chaos in the Old World, this is really fun, and we had a blast. And I really want to thank them because this was like that day, the Thursday. I I literally had walked. I have my little, you know, my my Fitbit. And yep. I normally walk my average on a day. I try to get I try to get ten thousand in on a steps in on a day, and I usually hit about seven. Uh, that first day, that Thursday, Chang, I walked twenty five thousand steps, Jeez. like I was dying. And they wanted to get together to game. I'm like, listen, I'll game, but could you come over by my hotel so we could play down in the lobby yes. here? Because I cannot walk over there route. And so they were they packed up this big game, this big ass game, and came all the oh, way over cool. to where we were. Uh, and we had a blast. Harrison and I played it with uh, Matt and Jeremy, and uh, it was fantastic. That's a great game. And if you're into, if you like H.P. Lovecraft and you like those types of world domination, you know, of your mm-hmm. your sect games, it's amazing. Hmm. All right, so you know what? Take a break. Going to come back um, now. What we're going to do is. Uh, after the break, I'm just going to go and just drop in the interview with James Waffle right at Gen Con. Sure. So we're going to do that, and then right at the end of that, I'm just going to go do the next break because it's about 35 minutes, uh, and then we'll be back after that. And then uh, I, we can talk about uh, all the things that I heard at the Games Workshop booth at Gen Con. Okay. All right.
check out that guy in the garage hammer shirt. Who cares about him? Look at that guy with the garage hammer hoodie. That's right, guys. Nothing tells the ladies I'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear. So hurry to garagehammer.net slash store, and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about. Remember, boys, first you get your gear, then you win all your games, then you get the chicks. That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in garage gear. All right, we are here at Gen Con 2015. Yes. I am here with Jim Wapple, uh, the author of the uh, Painting Pyramid. The pyramid. And the, the, the big devotee to uh, Wild West Exodus. Now, Jim, I wanted to ask you about that because we've had you on before and we know you know how to paint. And you can, you've painted models from just about every system and every company I can think of. And they keep coming. <laughs> literally, literally every week, a new box from a country. I'm like, oh, okay, there's a box from Poland. What's inside here? Oh, look, there's miniatures. I don't know who they are. I guess I'm supposed to paint them. Are they literally just sending you free stuff, being like, please paint our miniatures? It, it's the it's even the unboxing element, because what I like to do is is do a post where I, how much of a pain in the rear end is this going to be to put together and to paint, <laughs> and is it going to fall apart, or how close is the final miniature to say all of those renders that you see all those okay. computer renders you see is it 80 percent is it 90 and and companies do hit a whole different range right some of well, some companies are down in the 60s oh okay because you'll see the render it looks all beautiful and then you get the miniature and you go to paint it or you go to prep it and you say what's missing oh, or, or maybe the detail is either way less crisp in the actual thing. Oh, okay. Well, ZBrush, and I found this out by talking to some ZBrush artists and even trying it for a little bit, it will let you do things that are uncastable. It will let you make things too small. Okay. Because you can do it. It's on the computer. You just shrink it, make it bigger, whatever. Whereas when you're sculpting the old-fashioned way with green stuff, you intuitively make things as small as they can be. Right. If you're going to make a brim on a hat, you can only make it so small in green stuff. That's conveniently just the right size to cast. Okay. In ZBrush, you can make it paper thin, and you go to do your first print, and it's like, what the heck happened to his brim? I tell you what, I just recently picked up Infinity, and you see the pictures of those models. And I mean, you know, I've been playing long enough where I know the picture of the model is bigger than the model. But I opened up my first box, and I was like, oh, my. And I'm playing mm-hmm. Pano, so they got all those little tiny oh, yes. things on their oh, heads. Oh, yes. I was gluing my hands to the models to the point where it was ridiculous. Like, I was literally holding it there and then holding it in place and just, like, sort of peeling my finger off once the glue dried. So that my, there's, there's literally parts of my flesh are on these models at this that point. That was where I, where I learned the glue, green stuff, glue trick. Yeah. A little dot of glue, tiny piece of green stuff, a dot of glue on the other side. You pop that thing in there. A, you're not sitting there like an idiot for three hours holding it. <laughs> there's a way less chance of sticking yourself to it. And it's going to be stronger, too, because right. the, well, well, it's for a game. stuff fills up that little gap, too, so it's, it's, it's got that hold. So when you're, oh. And I do it for big monsters now, too. It's, I automatically do it. People it's, say, Jim, do you pin everything? I said, well, I used to. But now that so many things are resin, the pin, in some ways the pin almost weakens something because you've drilled a hole, and when I'll, I'll pin something, mm-hmm. guess what? It'll bust wherever the pin ends. 
Oh, I see. The glue green stuff, glue that green, just like you said, it will fill in all of those gaps. Now, what's interesting? Some of these other companies, their slots fit so smoothly together. Uh, Infamy Miniatures. They sent okay. me some of their test casts, and I was all set to do the glue green stuff, glue, and I realized I didn't need to do this. They sculpted these hex things. So all of their joints are hexes. Yes. And you don't have to, they all fit together instead of a ball joint where one ball is like a hexagon and then the joint is for a ball. Or you get the ball and then the part that comes out is either an oval or it's twice as thick as that hole is deep and you're sitting there shaving it to get the Mm -hmm. right size. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I I never thought I'd be using my wood carving tools for resin. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I I had, even here, I had to use wood wood carving tools to get into the the vents and the gates, especially the gates. Okay. Uh, Like a space marine where you have the torso, forge world, and they got that that stupid gate right there. Oh, right. I have a rounded wood carving tool that allows me to just dig in there without killing myself or injuring myself, kind of slowly dig that out of there because it's a rounded tool. It's the shape of that round hole. Okay. Yeah, it's... It, it can be, it can be, it can be kind of crazy. I didn't realize people just sent, dude. That's that's kind of awesome. Please paint our models. It, it's, We'd love to see. I, I, well, I did for a while. I was sending out Facebook messages when I see something new uh, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot. New company posting their stuff, and I'd send them a message. And if they didn't have painted stuff, it's it. Well, it, look, I know you have no money to pay people to do this, but I'm just. Curiosity killed the cat. I'm curious. I gotta see what this looks like in my hand. Send me your models, and I'll paint them and send you the pictures. You can use them if you want. Parallax Games was one. Uh, He did some cat people. And 15 years ago, when we were do we be sculptors or painters? We were advised just to be painters because our lives would be easier, and it is. (laughs) We had drawn all of these, sketched out all of these miniatures that would have looked a lot like that. I said someone sculpted the miniatures I always wanted to make. So I said, Hey, Adam, do you mind if I? get one or two of your miniatures just to play with, just to paint, and put them on the book. He says, when you need them, what's your address? Nice. Be- because they, they know that it's going to be talked about. Instead of just a, here is some miniature I painted for a contest, it's, here's what it looks like out of the box. Here's what you're going to find. And here's how easy or difficult it's going to be for you to put it together. And here's how sturdy it is. Once it's because some resins are really resilient. Yes. They can take a punch, and other resins, you just look at them, and they're in a th- shattered into a thousand pieces. Yeah, right. I've, I've, yeah, I've had that happen personally. Because <laughs> all resins are not created the same. That is for sure. No, and then they got now people are doing that resin plastic mix, which is just, oh. That's the, not... the word rustic causes PTSD effects. I just have to, like, start slinging things around the room. I and... only started hearing that word, what, a year or two ago? And mm-hmm. I'm already sick of it. I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear it. I realize people are using it as a stopgap. I mean, you know, as plastics are getting better, I think people are starting to... I mean, it's like the past year or two, there's been experimentation. Even GW, when they were going from metals to plastics... They, could, they didn't have the right molds and everything for plastics, so they did the fine cast, <laughs> which was... Ugh. We know. Yeah, we all know. It. You know, the funniest thing is, I've got almost... I've got 20... I've almost 30 models in fine cast. I only ever had one that was, like, really bad that I had to go get replaced. And I know I'm the exception because I hear horror stories. Uh, oh, and yeah. It doesn't, and it doesn't hold up to the heat. But this was obviously a stopgap until they got their plastics going. And even they realized, listen, just go with the plastic. It's so much better. I, I, I don't even want to hear Restic anymore. I think everybody who's been using it has been trying to move away from it as quickly as possible. That's amazing. We've been doing this 
really hard and heavy since 2003, but 2001 is when we really first started to do the miniature painting. Mm-hmm. And we, I was just in a discussion with somebody. It's almost like from the late 90s into the early 2000s, it was stone tools. Then all of a sudden, we went to a combustion engine, and now we're at cold fusion reactors because everybody has the ability now to make these incredible miniatures via the ZBrush, via the printing process. I'm seeing companies doing plastic going, that's $4 million of molds. There. No, that was like a $15,000 process. Yeah. What? To make 10-man plastic sprues? That's, now, of course, you have to wait in line because you don't just set that up in your living room. Right. That's, that's a disadvantage, and I think that's why maybe some Kickstarters run into production things because now they're in a queue with the 20 other Kickstarters that come into that same guy. Right. But at least it's possible now, technology-wise. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the small guy has trouble with it because, like you said, they're waiting in line. It's the big companies that have, that can afford their own. I mean, love them or hate them, you know. I'm, everyone knows I'm a big fan of Games Workshop, and I know you've been working with Wildlands Exodus. But they've got that stuff down, and they just crank it out. That that latest Age of Sigmar, Harrison and I were looking at it. The um, those little the guys who look like the Marauders, you know, the guys. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Ten guys per sprue. One uh, one of those small G like, you know the regular GW size boxes that you would get with the miniatures oh, yeah. in. One it would be one sprue, and they're not even two. All ten guys, all done. And I was just looking at it, going, just figuring out how to f- how to fit it all on one sprue and get it all the cuts so it's clean. Say what you want, but I was like, wow, it's it's crazy what they've got down now. I think that is the, there's probably more programs than just ZBrush, but that's what allows you to create that sprue. I think far easier, far more rapidly because it's on. You can just shift it around with the click of a mouse instead of good lord. Now we have to break this green stuff thing again yes. and reposition it exactly and cut it and bend. Yeah, see where it goes. That's why if you I don't know if you've seen that Age of Sigmar set, but there are some of the weirdest. Like, there's literally a guy who's got his chest and one arm, and then there's another arm with a U-shaped bend going around, which is half of a chest and the head. And you literally have to kind of slot it in there and then twist so it clicks into place. And you're like, you could never have done that if you had to cut it up yourself. But the computer's like, look, we can pop, 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 and it and it. It went in so smooth. Like, I looked at it. I mean, you have to dry fit it first. Don't put glue on and then screw it up. But, man, it just, it's like, it's ridiculous how they've how far they've gone with this stuff. There is an interesting effect. And, and most people, I guess, they don't notice this as much. I call it the ZBrush effect. Okay. And, and this is another interesting thing. You can tell someone who never sculpted regularly with a regular physical media and just started with ZBrush. Right. Because there's a little bit of stiffness. Things look a little more blocky. And they went crazy with belt buckles. <laughs> because ZBrush lets you go wild with a whole bunch of things. Whereas if you had to sculpt every single buckle, you would go insane after the fourth one. ZBrush, I, fu- I worked with ZBrush once. And I thought I was putting like making like some kind of a pipe construction. No, it was a belt buckle. I just somehow accidentally clicked on one of 20 different buckles and was pasting 300 belt buckles on something, not realizing that's what it was. Oh, no. <laughs> so if you had to sculpt all those, that it's that kind of yeah. sculpting is self-regulating. ZBrush lets you do just about anything. Which is where you get guys with the skull necklaces. Um, and, oh, another cut that's on those Marauder guys. They're all wearing collars, but they're not on their neck. They're like loose collars that sort of fit around the back of their neck and then rest on their chest with spikes. And I was looking at it and they're like the co- they're corn guys. So it's this mm-hmm. corn co- it's 
it's like half of it's sculpted to the body, and then the part that's loose is sculpted off the neck, and as you place it on, you just put one drop of glue and connect the two ends of the collar together. And I'm, it's, it's ridiculous. You could never sculpt that with green stuff and get it to work. And they're just doing it. It's it's ridiculous. It's crazy that the the detail you're getting into these models now. I think the other thing, when you're designing on the computer, it does make creating an instruction sheet easier. Because as a person who is generally the guinea pig, I'm the first person that's ever had to assemble this. I've had to think, please send me the green. Because I have a pile of tin parts, and I have no idea where they go. And you can show me a picture of it. Oh, yeah. You can show me the concept thing. I have, I need to see the green. Well, of course, now there's no greens, so they have to kind of break the pieces apart, and they can make a, a handy instruction manual. Because, like, the Wild sure. West stuff, I don't think it initially came with that. And now it's not so much an instruction manual as, okay, you want to assemble this one guy, because each, each guy is different. Oh, you get a of set course. of ten, they're all different, and one part goes to this specific thing. Now, it all has letters and numbers, but because of orienting, sometimes you maybe click the wrong piece, with just this little sheet where it says you want to assemble a guy that's H. It shows you where all the H things are on the sprue. That little hint, it went from taking maybe three hours to assemble to an hour yeah, or half an hour. It was amazing the difference just that made. There's that one little sheet with a red highlight on, okay, you want to assemble this guy. Here's the pieces. Easy to find on the sprue. I remember, and once again with me, with uh, with GW getting the um, my original dwarf models, and it was one picture. And it was just a body, and then it was a list of arms on one side and on the other side, and things that you could do. And, uh, you know, it was just like a simple picture and, you know, options. And now it's almost like when I was building model cars as a kid. Everything is numbered. Every piece is numbered. Everything is laid out because it's like if you don't put it together this way, it ain't going to fit. It's really good training for me because in the future, I actually have... Some model kits, real model kits, as in model ships. Oh, okay. And those kind of things. Well, it's, it's, I'm supposed to kind of wander towards the historicals, and even Wild West was kind of a bridge to historicals. Okay. Because when you look at some of the miniatures, especially the Warrior Nation, you could, you could almost say, oh, I'm doing 28 millimeter French and Indian War. And you could plop those guys down, and they would work. Yeah. As long as their axes aren't glowing, they're really, they would work in that universe, that, which is great. It's kind of this nice little draw towards it. Because I have a whole kind of a project with uh, 720 scale ships, waterline ships. Okay. I didn't know what a waterline ship was um, as far as a model until about six or seven months ago when I started to see in some of these Facebook areas, which is just model ship builders. So what is a waterline ship? Uh, you've seen the like in the museum where it's the whole ship mounted on two little brackets. Right. And you see the entire hull and everything. Mm-hmm. Waterline ships are designed to be placed in basically a realistic water diorama. So let's say you want to have a ship at a dock, that's a waterline ship. If you want to have the Yamato crashing through high sea waves, that's a waterline miniature. Okay, so now do they have the whole ship in the model and it goes into that thing, or does it actually just cut off? It cuts the waterline. It cuts at the waterline. It cuts at the waterline. Okay. And since I know nothing about this, I didn't even know what scale to I knew it couldn't be a three-foot-long ship. Right. People said, Jim, I think one uh, one to 720 is what you're looking for. And actually, Kathy's brother, uh, my brother-in-law, said, he bought me one for Christmas. He okay. said, here is this aircraft carrier. Give it a shot before you do your big USS West Virginia project. Okay. Which, that's that's a future thing for me. Um, I don't know if, if people want to know about that interesting little project, but it's definitely something that I... If you I, want to tell us about it, go ahead, man. This is your time. 
everybody knows, who knows me, knows me. I'm big in history, history of all kinds, doesn't matter what era really. I am fascinated with this concept that everybody says all the battleships were sunk at Pearl Harbor. Well, that's sort of true. They were sunk. Water was only like 30 feet deep. So guess what? You lift them up, you rebuild them, you reuse them. Okay. And they were when they were rebuilt, they didn't look anything like the original ships that were constructed in 1914, 15, 17. They look almost like Iowa-class battleships. Okay. But they're not. They are just old Pearl Harbor ships that were completely reconstructed. And the West Virginia was one of those. And the diorama is going to be on a turntable. And on one side, with a painted backdrop, it's going to say December 8th, 1941. And in the water will be oil, flaming oil. The ship is still burning. Everything is kind of destroyed on fire, whatever. That's December 8th. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to shift to the summer of 1944, Battle of Surigao Strait. This is a 1944 West Virginia with blazing Japanese battleships in the backdrop. With the the that the land on either side, the West Virginia firing broadsides. Okay. Same ship. I didn't realize this until just recently that they. I knew they had refloated them and and revitalized them. I didn't know they. I was like, that's not an Iowa class battleship. What is that? It's not North Dakota. That's to West Virginia. They did that to Nevada. They did it to California. So they basically remodeled them all. They, they said, remodeled hey, them all. They put the, the twin five inch gun mounts all on the sides. About the only thing that was original was the hull and the the 16-inch guns. Everything else was completely redone. That's crazy. New new stack, new superstructure, new everything, and that is my challenge. That is my ultimate modeling challenge right there. Don't know how the heck I'm going to do that. <laughs> but most projects literally are that way. It's like, ah, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do this. But I want yeah, exactly. to figure it out. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it because the stuff you always putting up, you put on the Facebook page, the Garage Hammer page, your page, Wapelius.com. Yeah, that's um, a, that's the blog of madness. Yep, and there's always something new on it. But you know what? Let's go to you'd mentioned Wild West Exodus, and that's your that's what you're here doing. So let me ask you this: I mean, how many miniature games are out there? And as you as we've just a billion, out, yeah, yeah, you know them better than I do since you get all the models. You seem to be. You sort of full bore into the Wild West Exodus. I mean, you're at their booth, their painted models, not only showing up what you can do with it painted, but you're, I mean, I saw you there today talking about and promoting the game. The minutia why, of the game. Why Wild West Exodus? What about this game? Tell the, tell the people who haven't played it, maybe what about it is, has drawn you to this game over all others? A couple things. The, the genre, I, I love Deadlands. It was actually the only role-playing game that I ever really, really enjoyed. Okay. And I said, good Lord, they just made a miniature battle version of Deadlands. Sort of a sci-fi Wild West. It, it's the same. Alternate it's history. The, the alternate history. They have found some kind of magic substance that powers these weird machines that not everybody knows how they even work, but they're there. So it's <laughs> Those are the best rock. kind of machines. It's the best kind of machines because <laughs> weird things happen when you try to use them. That there's the story element. I used to reenact Civil War stuff. Well, right. here is this example of what happened if the call of Jefferson Davis was heeded. Free from the burden of protecting cities, we will retreat to the hills, into the swamps. Well, they did that here. The Confederate Rebellion. The Confederacy, they have abandoned Richmond, Atlanta, the, the coastal cities, the fortresses, but they're in the swamps, they're in the hills. And when they kickstart, did the Kickstarter, the new one, Confederate Rebellion fills this out. Very clandestine, guerrilla warfare, hit and run, vehicles that burrow under the ground and pop up behind your lines. I thought, this is interesting, because what would have happened if the South had just, Robert Lee said, look, okay, we, we just need to be back. We don't like it, but we're just gonna, we're gonna put down the arms and that's it. 
most civil wars and revolutions don't go that way. I mean, if you see any number of examples of today, yeah. how badly that goes. They go until somebody, once that gets wiped out. This is the exception rather than the rule, so I, I like that element to it. It was also a different genre of painting. It was a different genre of terrain. I built a million fortresses for 40K, for fantasy. I built castles, hovels, homes, everything, trees, houses. But I've never done a Wild West town. So you got a saloon and a... Oh, we got everything. Wapleville is vast and it's expanding. Wapleville. I like that. <laughs> uh, I know uh, Wild West Texas, they have their own buildings. They have several two-story buildings that are real nice. And a friend of mine, Lathan, uh, Burn and Designs, he he is the creator of Wapleville. Okay. I mean, he has built the train station. He's built that bank. He's built the Pink Flamingo, the House of Horizontal Refreshment. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Light District. I got you. Uh, he built the Final Slumber Funeral Home. Uh, you name it. If it's in Wapleville, it's there. Sweet. And it's, what's really great, though, is this, this playability element. He's not content to just make a really nice building. It's a building where, Jim, okay, can you get the miniature in there? Can you get your hand in the miniature in there? Because the miniatures don't just hop in there by themselves. Right. Is there good sight lines? Can you take cover in there? How many guys can you get in that building? Do you want to fight on the second floor or not? Do so you want roof access? He and took all of that stuff into, into account when he built your different places. It's literally, he creates it because he loves to create things. Sometimes I'll challenge, like, man, I don't think we can do this. He's like, oh, really? Maybe we can. And then next thing, it comes up with this huge fancy kit and everything incredible. And that's why Wapleville is all these different buildings because we're, we're playtesting the buildings. Sweet. And, and we're learning the game at the same time, and we're learning the depths of the game. Because it's not just stand out in the street, shoot, and face. There are so many things you can do with your guys that don't involve killing the other guy. It's okay. amazing. I, I just was showing some, I think these guys own some stores, and they were trying to make a choice between two games and the entire room. They said, all right, go. Tell me something. Tell me how to win a game. And I said, well, I can tell you a real interesting way to win a game. And I said, there's this, there's one of my guys, he's sitting on an objective, and he knows you want to kill him. It's the last turn of the game. You have to get him out or you lose. Somebody got to get him off that objective. And I told all the ways that he's hunkering down, take cover, go prone. And, and they're, they're listening to their role of a four better becoming like a nine. And, that, oh, by the way, I'm going to spend influence to save him, even if you do manage to hit him. I'm like, well, okay, now you're stuck. Uh, great. What's so great about this game? I said, well, there's this little lady over here named Sierra Icarus. All she's going to do is just stand there on the street and look kind of pretty and maybe lift a little, show a little leg or something like that. That guy becomes so enamored that he just forgets everything. He runs away from that objective and stands out in the middle of the street. You just won the game. He didn't shoot him. <laughs> he didn't fire him. He didn't do nothing. You just looked pretty. That's all you got to do is look pretty. And they said, no way. I said, yes, that happened. And it was done to me. <laughs> it was done to me. I know. Uh, we like to have crazy objectives that are moving. I don't know of any other game where you can have moving objectives like a wagon where the driver was killed because of all the gunplay. And the horses are spooked. And, and the horses are careening. The and it's, you have no idea where this thing's going. And because Wild West Exodus uses things like physical ability checks to climb, to get up on a roof or whatever... Well, why not have to use that same physical check to see if you can jump on that wagon and take control of it? Two of my guys fell off trying to do that. <laughs> Rich says, wait a minute. I got these guys that are really good at climbing. That's their specialty. So they jump on the wagon, and they're about to drive it out of town. If he drives it out of town, he wins the game. I think this is no good. The hero of Wapleville, Carl Fredrickson. This is where he earned his name. 
teleports himself onto the wagon, shoves the two guys off, and then crashes it himself because he doesn't know how to drive real well, real well apparently. But what other game do you know of where you can do these kind of just bizarre things that don't involve shooting, that don't involve swords or anything? It's just guys shoving each other around, climbing on things, looking pretty. That's that sounds like a lot of fun. I you know I've had a demo game and I enjoyed the demo game. There's some there's some groups in our area. I know my friend Joe, um, Joe Flesh. I think you know. Oh yeah, oh, he was he, just in the booth. Yeah, and he's a huge Wild West Exodus fan. And I I, I admit I I looked at it first. I know Romeo and Battlefilm are sponsor of the show, mm-hmm. and so when he was coming out with this, he's like, "Would you like to talk about?" It? I'm like, "Sure, sure." And so I'm looking at it, and. Um, I was attracted to the Union automatically. I'm a big fan of the book, uh, what is it, um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh, yeah. And the movie wasn't as good as the book, but still. And then they got that Abe Lincoln stand. They're like, you could be Abe Lincoln. I'm like, you could be Abe Lincoln. You got a big him with the hat, holding the axe, swinging it. Ulysses Grant coming in this weird, you know, he's got the little, t- I'm like, these Union guys are so awesome. And it's like, you've got them, you've got your Confederates, you've got your, uh, your law, your outlaws, you've got your marshals. You've got the the Native American faction, so there's all these weird, and it's 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 a very different take on what you would expect. Having Lincoln out there with his bodyguards, Pinkertons, as a, as a, yeah, with his with his Pinkerton bodyguards. What's fun, and I try to emphasize this to people that uh, say you're going to play 40k, you're going to play a like a corn berserker. Well, you do one thing: you run across the board and you hit. And that's what that's what your whole army is because they don't have anything else that doesn't do those things. Sure, Union. I have a Union army too. My Union Army, the boss is Tesla, walking right. around his big to- stompy toy. And I've got Willa. It's a girl power kind of thing. You have Willa cruising around with a bunch of iron horses. You've got Lucinda and Sierra both doing that little kabuki dance. <laughs> so now you're getting, now you got two gals looking mighty pretty and a whole bunch of, another gal just waiting to shoot all the guys that are foolish enough to hop out and be distracted. Because so, I know the usual thing is kind of the Union gun line. That's the typical setup. I say, okay, well, this is me. Everything I do is the opposite of either what you're supposed to do or what it was meant to be. I don't use a brush the way it was meant to be used. I don't use paint the way it was meant to be used. <laughs> I pretty much don't use anything the way it was originally intended. So that is, that's my trait. I'm just following it here, building weird armies. It's just, it's so much fun. So if, if somebody, now it's a D20s, right? A D10. D10s. D10s. That's right. D20 is something else. So it's D10s. You've got a lot of different types of checks. Um, so if, if if there's somebody who, and you've already pretty much covered it, but if, you, if there's one thing, if you're going to really, without them being able to see the models in front of them, if you're really going to sell it to them and you want them to go look for stuff, what would you suggest? Go look for this because you could do this or that. What's the, what's the, the, the thing that you think would drag, would bring people into it the most? Well, the the one statement, if you're looking for one quick statement, it's there's no inevitability in the game. There are no guarantees. Some games, you're just like, okay, I'm dead. I'm gone. There is never that case where you can always save yourself. You can always hit, you can always counterpunch somebody's punch. That's the thing, and there are no easy choices. There's only several eh choices. Like, okay. I'd love to do this, but I don't have enough action points. It's the action points. That is the thing that keeps it under control. The biggest heroes in the game, when they run out of their action point, they're just all they are is just a regular dude standing out there on the street. So action points are sort of like on top of your regular things. These are the things that they get to do that make them a little more, that give them that oomph that makes them well, special. Let's say you've got a 
big giant bazooka, and that thing can blow a 16-story building into a pile of dust in one shot. Okay. Well, let's say you need to move twice to be able to shoot that gun to be able to get the range. Well, you move twice, you just used up your two action points. You you have the big old gun, you, you couldn't get there to use it. So now what you're going to do, you have that choice. And you also, the other thing too is it's turn-based, but I don't sit there for 45 minutes watching you destroy me. You move three things. You can activate three things. Okay. I can only activate three. So it's more interactive. We're playing every turn together as opposed to, all right, call me, call me when you need me to roll an armor save. Oh, plus, yeah, with only three actions, your turn is short. So there's, it's turn-based, but there's a lot. You you, you you do a couple things. I do. So you're not moving your whole 20-man crew. Everybody's moving. Every you got to pick. This is what's important right now. This has to happen. If we each have 12 guys, a turn might be four activations apiece for us. Three guys makes 12. Or it could be 12 because you only have to activate one. You don't have to activate three. Let's say that I didn't go for the big expensive characters and took guys that were a little less expensive maybe i have 15 guys to your tent now i have five more activations i can play with that a little bit okay or maybe i if they're all hired hands i move them all five as one as oh, one okay. activation but you don't know is he gonna do five separate and kind of activate me to death or is he just gonna mob me and one activation five guys it's a poker game it's kind it's a poker game with the Influence? Can I get you to waste that influence on something I care nothing about? So that cool. when you really need it, it's gone. You don't All have right. it anymore. Nice. That sounds okay. So great. So um, we're actually coming towards the end of our time here. I know you've got to get back to your booth and that, but um, I wanted to thank you for coming on. Uh, once again, your website, Wapelius. It is wapelius.blogspot.com. Okay. And there is a material news stop posted every 12 hours on the hour. So that's two posts a day, every day. Only takes two and a half hours a day to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the posts also. And you post it also on our Garage Hammer Facebook page as well. Yeah, I try there. to post links to different Facebook groups so that they're aware of, especially if it's something that's really targeted to that group. You know, I'm sure. not going to put 40K stuff in the Malifaux group. I just right. for obvious reasons. But if it's something like if it's a basing thing, That'll go in almost all the groups. But if it's a game-specific thing, I'll keep it to those those Facebook groups. Cool. Well, hey, you know what? Thanks. Uh, you've got, given me a little bit of info on Wild West Exodus. That's interesting. And, of course, I'm always happy to talk to you about painting and stuff. Man, I had no idea that people just... I'm, I'm still kind of sitting there going, they, people just send any models. They paint our stuff. That's so cool. It, it's <laughs> it's the golden age of miniatures because so many new companies are doing amazing things that I never would have thought of and never thought I would see. And it's just there. It's all there for people to paint. And if and you're enjoy. if you're really a hobbyist, if you're a guy who likes to do conversions and do his own things, you can find stuff everywhere. That's so fantastic. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, it, uh, just so many opportunities that just three years ago none of this would have been possible. But thanks again for having me on, and I hope to see all you guys on the blog and maybe doing Google Hangouts and other fun things in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks a lot. And Bye. we'll be back, folks.
you need gifts and games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. You didn't get to hear it, but you will. Let's say stole fabulous nonetheless. <laughs> um, before we get into talking about the the booth at GW, I wanted to also play uh, Brian Steele, who is a friend of the show. You guys all know he's been on a bunch of times. Uh, you know Brian, yeah. Oh yeah, um, Brian, good guy. He was a guest of honor. Like that's what his badge said. Oh really? Like, he yeah, wasn't there, yeah, he wasn't there as a. As a uh, like in the booth, like you know, one year he was working with yeah. Dark Age, another year he was working with Cool Mini. Um, he was there giving lectures and stuff. Wow! Yeah, like he's over there talking about like the whole business, and I was already signed up for other things, and I had no idea he was doing this. Like he didn't tell me until I saw him there, and I was like, ah! Um, I suppose he put it on Facebook, but I just don't go on Facebook all that often anymore. So, um, but like, so he's coming on next. Um, I'm, I just talked to I talked to him. And uh, I want to play talking to him. So I'm going to play that. And then when we come back, uh, then we're going to talk the GW booth. Sounds like a plan. Cool. All right. We are back. And um, all right. It's post uh, Gen Con time here. And uh, um, I am here with a big friend of the show, Mr. Brian Steele. Brian, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, um, Brian's here via the magic of Skype, folks, and um, he, I was going to try, we were going to try to get an interview going at Gen Con, because Brian, you've been there for like years and years and years. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're there every year with somebody, you know, um, but this year it was uh, really kind of special, wasn't it? I didn't realize how special uh, until I looked at your badge, and rather than say, <laughs> you know, that you were on the sales team or in the room, it said... Guest of honor on your badge. Um, I even saw you walk into the VIP room there at one point. I was like, Ooh, look at that. So, Brian, <laughs> what, uh, what exactly does it take to be a guest of honor? What were you doing at uh, Gen Con this year? Um, at, I was my technical, uh, technical title this time around was a featured industry insider presenter. Basically... Uh, I've done enough stuff in the industry on the various, you know, various levels as a freelancer, as somebody staffer, as weird voiceover guy for Kickstarter videos and all kinds of other random stuff. Uh, I've managed to, uh, I guess, insert myself in enough places that 
they wanted me out for to do panels and uh, have some discussion seminars about the industry and uh, uh, you know the ins and outs of it. And that's that's what I was doing at Gen Con this year. A lot of lot of kissing uh, kissing hands and shaking babies, uh, <laughs> or you know the other way around. Uh, but a lot of uh, a lot of industry talk, and it was uh, it was really cool. And uh, I know once you're in the in the program. You, a lot of the people that were in the program before that I talked to this weekend, you know, some of them had been doing the uh, industry insider guest of honor thing now for, you know, years, you know, they keep coming back and doing more stuff. And I, I really hope they'll have me back again next year. It was a, it was a, an unbelievably cool experience. And, uh, I just by, you know, how my Twitter's kind of blown up a little bit and, uh, had a couple of emails from people who talked to me at, uh, at panels and stuff, you know, this is going to sound super pretentious, but if I helped anybody this weekend at all, it it meant that I I did what I was there for, and that's uh, you know that that was a, uh, a kind of a feather in my cap. You know, I, I was really happy that at least someone, at least one person, walked away with a little bit of a little bit of information that they didn't have before, and you know, I got, uh, I got a very nice email from someone that was at one of my panels that said, you know, I was very informative and very, you know, entertaining, you know, but a lot of that has to do with, uh, I've, I've never met a microphone I didn't like. So, <laughs> so, um, okay. So how many panels did you do? Um, I was actually only a guest on three of them, uh, three panels, two on Saturday and one on Sunday, uh, which actually worked out really well for me because it gave me Thursday and Friday to, walk the halls and, uh, uh, actually see, you know, see some of the people that I only see at conventions of, you know, two, you know, two or three times a year. Um, and, uh, I got, I had a, a slew of business meetings and things like that on, on Thursday. So it, it allowed me to, to actually have a Gen Con, whereas, you know, for several of the last few, I've been attached to a booth or there to be an exhibitor with, uh, with a company that I'm working with or something along those lines. And that means I'm, you know, on someone else's schedule and it was hard for me to get away to do things. Uh, this time I had a lot more freedom of my freedom of schedule, even though I was busier than I probably have ever been at a Gen Con, uh, which is a weird thing to say. You know, I had free time, but I was able to fill that free time up with, very important stuff. So there was some networking going on, talking to other industry insiders. It was it was good. Um, <laughs> 2015 has been really good to me professionally, and several of the people who I have only talked to via email or occasionally a phone call, I was able to actually sit down and get face to faces with them, uh, set some stuff up. You know, uh, in some cases officially, some cases unofficially. Um, kind of for the for the foreseeable future so now gen con was really good for me um nice. busy yeah. not a lot of not a lot of sleep involved but uh it was a, it was a good time on all fronts sounds awesome sounds pretty cool so um so listen back to the so what were your what were your different lectures or your your panels about like what what were you telling let the listeners in those who couldn't be at Gen Con <laughs> what pearls of wisdom were you giving to your audiences if I may ask for let me drop a couple knowledge bombs on you yeah exactly um, now my uh, the the first one we did um, honestly and it was probably the most fun uh, of all three 
was the the seminar on when is you know as a game designer when is your game done oh okay. and when when do you put a little bow on it and say this is this is done now we we can give it to the uh, you know give it to the publisher give it to the you know designer put it on Kickstarter whatever whatever you were gonna do when is when is your game done and I got to share that panel with uh, some very cool people. Um, Let's see. Uh, Tracy Barnett uh, was on there from Exploding Rogue. Um, Meg, oh, I can't remember her last name for life of me, but she does a lot of really cool, uh, like splat style board games and uh, very very politically inclined stuff. Okay. Uh, and then uh, James Ernest. From uh, from cheap ass uh, cheap ass games. Okay. Um, James was sitting next to me. We, he was cracking me up the whole time. Uh, I've known him for years through you know from back in the day at Mongoose, and you know we've always been you know kind of convention acquaintances. Uh, but he was cracking me up at the panel. Um, but we it was a basically it was just a, it was a panel about. Um, when you're designing a game, when do you call it quits? Uh, either, you know, because the game is as good as it's going to get, or as one of the guys up there said, you know, when when do you say good enough? Uh, because you know we're all in our own way perfectionists. You know, we're, we all every every single game designer out there, nobody half asses it on purpose, right? You know, no nobody's going to go into making a game and go. You know, I really only want to get this about halfway there because I really want the internet to tear this thing to pieces. You know, like n- none of us is. So you're not going to do like and a so, quick four-page rule set for your big game and just leave it out to other people to figure it out? Is that what you're saying? Um, oh. <laughs> actually, that uh, you say what say what you will. I actually think that, that was a genius move. I'm I, hey, I'm just I'm just throwing a little shade. You know, this show is all about Warhammer. I actually like Age uh, of Sigmar, I, so. Well, and uh, you and I both, uh, I think that it's a very interesting, a very interesting take and an interesting turn. And because they are doing it as a completely new product rather than a coat of paint on an old product, um, there is absolutely nothing that stops them in the future from making more in of to, uh, making more stuff in the old products universe. Uh, you know, we saw for a, forever, forever and a day ago, um, how many times did uh, Mordheim get new uh, new rules from the uh, the from the side the fan game guys? Uh, right. How many times have we seen the you know space, the renditions of Space Hulk come back from the dead? You know, there's nothing that says that the old Warhammer that people knew about and loved, while they're still playing the crap out of it, that. GW won't eventually say, you know what? Let's go ahead and do like one compilation of, of rules or units or something. You know, one book a year. That's not going to cost them much. And at that same time, they can be pushing out some really slick figures and some very interesting rules for Age of Sigmar stuff. Yeah, like I said, uh, Harrison and I have been playing, and I've—I mean, people who've been listening to the show the last couple of weeks have heard it. Um, I think if you play with the new stuff. The Sigmarines, as we're calling them, and the New Chaos stuff, mm-hmm. um, it works. Uh, I think when you go to the old armies, which which seem to be a little shoehorned in, 
yeah. that's where you can run into some 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 balance and 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 gameplay issues. But uh, the new stuff's pretty cool. Plus, now I get well, to paint Space Marines. <laughs> well, and honestly, when you're looking at when you're looking at any game, I I hearken back to the. Uh, the old days when uh, you know somebody was like, okay, well your your army book is four years old, five years old, and your stuff just doesn't compete, or your stuff breaks the system because it has this rule that nobody else has. And how many times did we hear someone say, well, they'll fact that in the future? Right. That's basically where we're at right now. Is Age of Sigmar is sitting on something, you know, sitting on a new rule set that. If these old, you know, these old rules were never designed to play nice with this new rule set, that wasn't the case, right? So perhaps in the future we'll see that. You know, maybe we'll see some new information on how to use uh, how to use the the old dwarves or how to use Skaven or how to use you know whatever in a more Age of Sigmar-y fashion, rather than. The kind of like you said, the shoehorned version we've got now. Well, it's got me excited for what's coming out because I know. Yeah. I mean, whether they change the models or not, or what they're doing, you know, they're going to have the new Dwarden dwarfs and the elves and all that, and yeah, it's going to. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what what's what's coming, but I've been very bipolar about this game. I know we haven't had a chance to talk about it, but yeah, the listeners know it's like some days I I'm playing, I'm loving it, and other days I'm looking at this stuff going, God, they've ruined my game, but. You know, well, like, it's a brand new game. I got to get out of the eighth ed mindset in order to really exactly. understand this game too. Well, and, and for me, for for my my view upon it is, there's a lot of games out there that do not play well as competitive games. Right. They just they really kind of don't. And if that's what you're looking for, then you hold you know like let's say you're at the next Blood in the Sun. They're not. I, I doubt they're going to have a giant Age of Sigmar tournament, but. They will probably have maybe an Age of Sigmar fun big event, you know, some some kind of cool thing to bring out your models and show off your stuff. Well, while I know the I, competitive while the competitive players are enjoying, uh, well, and already, enjoying their their eighth ed tourney. I know in England some of the tournaments are are going Age of Sigmar. They're just they've they've set up their comp and said, hey, let's try it, let's go. So we'll see what happens. Well, exactly, exactly. And the worst thing that happens is that it doesn't work out. At GW, here's wind of this, and either they care or they don't. And at the end of the day, it's their decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, yeah. and I guess that's my biggest, my biggest beef. I get a lot of a lot of it in the 40k circuit. Is people are like, oh, the game is moving away from being competitive. Uh, and it's like, well, if the de- designers don't want it to be competitive, then so be it. They don't want to be. They don't want it to be competitive. Yeah. You know, it, I would rather them be honest with their their fan base and say, we're making really cool, fun products that are a blast to play. But if you do them with a tournament, you're kind of screwing your own pooch. Then them saying, oh, no, everything is fine, at, you know, whereas everyone's like, tournament, tournament, tournament. And then you end up having broken codexes or broken army books that are, you know, people are just running all over, running all over everybody because you know, GW was was trying to hide fun stuff in tournament play. Yeah, I would rather than be upfront and honest. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from. I my only my only thing is, I really do love I love the going to the tournaments and seeing the people that I've been seeing. And now that the Warhammer Fantasy tournament scene is sort of 
been turned on its head. I think a lot of that in my fear is I don't, I'm not going to get to see and, and, and do things with this because as, as people splinter possibly into different games, you know, for different. Uh, yeah. So you never, you know, it's, you know, outside of Adepticon, don't know who you're going to see and when. So. Well, but, and, uh, and in, in those kinds of instances, we, we have to be very thankful for social media. You know, for instance, like the like the uh, Garage Hammer Facebook page or something along those lines that people could use to start up their own little game circuits and get togethers and little mini conventions at local game stores. Yep, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Insert, insert random plug for one of your sponsors. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm going to be recording live from Unique Gifts and Games <laughs> in uh, in about a month or so. So that'll be that'll be awesome. So. Like I said, I did my stint in marketing. I know how that goes. <laughs> so okay, so how you know your game is done, and so and I mean, you yourself have said no, no game uh, survive. I mean, you, you you can't release a game and not have people sort of tearing it up after it's released, Absolutely. no matter how ready you think it is. You can go through twenty waves of playtest, change the game, you know, listen to every single one of your playtesters' notes. And figure out, and you've got it seamless. You think that this, there is no way someone is going to screw with this, and you're going to release it, and 30 days later on the internet, you're going to find someone that says, I found the broken combo, and you're going to say, damn it, how did that slip past all of our playtesters? Well, it's because, you know, we're not all computers. You know, we're not all... This isn't, you know, gaming is not an exact science. No matter how many... how No matter how much some players may want it to be all based on the equations... It isn't. Sometimes it's about the you know, the players, and sometimes it's about level of fun, and sometimes it's about what kind of game you're creating. You know, if you're creating the next Carcassonne, which is basically just you know math tangos with villages on there, or are you creating the next um, you know the the next Talisman or Shadows of Brimstone, where half of the fun is has nothing to do with what's happening in the game, right? You know, and and that's that's where a lot of the a lot of the stuff comes down to it is whether or not what kind of game you're creating. Uh, on the panel, someone had asked, you know, we I had, ta- I had said what my ideal playtesting group is, um, and my ideal playtesting group is a, is a party of five, two people who are there to play for fun, two people there that two people are there to play to win at all costs. And then one person there that's just there to break my rules. They're okay. just there to base it. They're, all they're there is to, to go, oh, hey, if I do this, then your doesn't work. Okay, so you and got that's, you got two hardcore players, two hobby players, mm-hmm. and one guy who is who is the hobby killer. That guy's going to break yes. it for everybody. That works. That, that's, that's my ideal team because your notes that you'll get back from that – will take into consideration that these guys are all sitting at the same table having to deal with one another. Ah, okay. As well as dealing with your game itself. And when I said this on the panel, um, there was a... Uh, a I want to say... I mean, I'm, I'm, if he listens to this, I'm going to feel horrible. I want to say he's Paul from Paizo. Okay. Um, he was there in the audience, and he actually commented, he's like, what about... Your playtesting group doesn't work for if you're making a game for children. And, I, and I'm like, you're absolutely right. The playtesting team, just like just like any kind of game design, needs to be flexible based off of you know the subject matter. You know, if I'm making the next advanced squad leader that has rules for whether or not there is moisture in your magazine for your AK-47, and I put on a bunch of 14-year-olds that are just there to woo shoot stuff, 
they're going to miss out all the nuances of what I'm putting together for the game. That being said, if I put together, you know, five 40 plus year old grognards and say, <laughs> all right, guys, I need you guys to play test my new game. The Care Bear Stare wins over Christmas. They're going to look at me like I've grown a third, like, like I've grown a third eye. They're going to say, yo, okay, why are we doing this again? So you have to make sure you get the right kind of team to put to, to test your game in the first place. I was being very general when I said that's the kind of team that I want to do most of the games that I would design. Gotcha. And I just totally went on a little tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that, that's that, no, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm, that, that's cool. That's totally cool. Um, I never actually thought about what type of a, you know, group you'd put together to test your, to test your stuff. So that works. The, the, the worst play testers in the world, uh, there's in my, in my opinion, there's two types. The ones that will tell you your stuff is amazing. That's not what I want you there for. I don't want, I don't want some, I, I, I don't mind someone saying, Hey, this is a really cool cane, but it needs to end with, but this is a really cool game, but the movement is a little weird. Or this is a really cool game, but it took too long to set up. You know, I want, I want them to give me some kind of critique. That's why I'm letting them in early. That's why I'm letting them see the game that I'm making. Is I want them to give me feedback. I want them to test the game, not just be so jazzed that they're part of the process that there's like, woohoo, this is great. Because if it was great, I wouldn't. We would already be past the point of playtesting if it was already at that level. And any game game designer tell you that we might have a really good idea, something that pops up and goes, ooh, ooh, I want to do this. But I guarantee it is not its final Chrome version. Uh, There's no shine on that one until it's been through test a few times. It has to have some polish to it. Nothing is perfect out of the box. Right. No, no kidding. Dude, I just tried to put together a freaking uh, a, a campaign, you know, like try to put together some campaign stuff for, for mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we all play Warhammer. I tried to add a couple of things to link together the games, and, dude, that went through about four iterations with questions and clarifications needed from the people who wanted to play. So, and that's a Absolutely. simple thing. Yeah, so I totally get that. Okay, uh, I know you're running a little short on time, so what were the other... That's all right. What we were can, the other uh, I've, I've got a little more time. I'm good. Oh, cool. What were the other uh, lectures about then? Uh, the, my seminars, second one was sorry. actually... That's a panel, seminars, lecture, Q&A, whatever. Um, the second one was actually kind of bittersweet. Um, it was uh, actually, how do you bounce back? how do you bounce back or try to prevent a failed Kickstarter? Um, because my, uh, uh, my role-playing world that I, that I kickstarted last year, uh, fell short of its, of its goal. Um, not dramatically so I made it more than halfway to more than halfway to where I was, but it, I learned a lot in the process. And when I relaunch later this year that, uh, it'll, I've, I've learned a, a whole lot from since then. And that was one of the things that actually that, panel, um, the how to bounce, bounce back from a failed Kickstarter, uh, was my idea that I put forward to Gen Con. Um, I was like, I, I want to run this panel. I want to be on, I want to be, I want to try and help other people from not making the mistakes that I did. Uh, and that's, that, that's how that panel came about. Um, and I don't know if I did a lot of helping to others, but I, I let people know what I did wrong. I let people know what I would, what, 
I would and am going to do better in the future. Um, the uh, the other people that were on the the panel with me, they shared some of their stories. Uh, we agreed on a lot of the same things. Uh, so you know, it was also a good, almost a good sounding board for me to hear some of the other panelists talk about the things that they did wrong and right uh, to help me when I go ahead and get my my seventh crown Kickstarter re- relaunched that uh, that it'll hopefully have better wheels this time and I won't be shooting for the moon as much as I was the first time and actually hit the goal that I need. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you know what I totally, I totally forgot? You know what? I think so many people don't even think about that. At least for me, I don't do a ton of Kickstarters. Like, I don't contribute to a bunch, and I've never... You know, it's like I don't. I don't often see the ones that I'm contributing to not, not get all the way to the end. Uh, I think I think a lot of people, you know, who are on the outside like me, look at it, and their biggest concern is not, you know, with the you know the success or failure rate so much as after it succeeds, do they actually come through? Because there's there's been a few, you know, you've heard about them too that oh yeah, oh yeah, they succeed and then they then they then they can't they can't uh, they can't. Uh, deliver yeah so that's a that's a whole nother can of worms well and that's and that's part of the part of the problem with with the kickstarter process for the people that actually are on the shoestring budgets that that can't that they don't have the capital to take up any kind of slack or anything like that a lot of these big companies that are making multi-million dollar kickstarters uh you know I'm going to say this. They don't necessarily need that money. They want that money, and that money helps make the better, the best product they can make. But they don't necessarily need that money to keep their doors open. The smaller companies or single-people single, single people shows, kind of like myself, uh, without that money, the project doesn't exist. Right. You know, it, we, we, we don't get the project. It does not happen without the backing. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rough trip. Um, Running a Kickstarter is some of the, I will say, those 30 days that I had my Kickstarter going um, were probably 30 of the most stressful that I've had in a long time. Uh, and that in, you know, and that includes my divorce and moving out of my house and all that other, <laughs> wow. all that other shebang. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was hard. It was because... You know, this is this is something that you're putting, you know, countless hours and sweat and blood into, and money. You know, you, you know anybody who says, well, the Kickstarter is there to come up with all the money for a product, uh, that is untrue. I probably dropped close to seven or eight thousand bucks of my own money into my project, and it has, and it didn't, it didn't make it. Wow. So, yeesh. The, yeah, yeesh. <laughs> so now. Uh, now the good the good part of that is that that money and any other money I've spent since then is it's still there it's in the project it's not like it goes away right uh, and so when I relaunch I'll be able to have a, a a much more achievable goal because of the other money that I've put into the, put into it since then you know money and time and and that sort of thing although I haven't been able to put as much time into it as I want to because 2015 has been very good for me professionally <laughs> I've had. Uh, I've, I've had lots of other things crop up, and, and you know, when you only have so many hours in a day, uh, my studio time is devoted to commissions and projects, and you know that kind of thing. When uh, 
I, I would love to be able to be throwing words down and you know getting new art done and getting the next Kickstarter up and ready. Uh, paying bills is better. Well, yeah, I I would agree there a hundred percent. So, uh, what was your uh, what was your last one about? And uh, then, the uh, last one, the last the last panel was on the my Sunday panel was uh, basically freelancing one hundred and one was how to be a freelancer in the game industry, you know, how to get started and how to maintain. Uh, all of us uh, collectively on the panel, there were five of us on the panel. Uh, we had between the five of us, we had over 80, 85 years of freelance, uh, f- freelance between us. Wow. Um, and we, a lot of us had very similar backgrounds. There were three of us that were, as we put it, mongoose survivors. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to uh, laugh. I'm sorry. I just, I know the whole, no, know, no, 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 no. We, I we, actually we, know we that. Say it. Well, we say it out of love. You know, I still, I, you know, the guys who own Mongoose, uh, I still love those guys to death. I wouldn't be where I am without them. Uh, and, you know, close to a million and a half of my published words was for them. So, you know, that's, that's a big deal for me anyway. So we, we jokingly called ourselves Mongoose survivors, but uh, we were all up there. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Gareth, uh, Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, um, I, the last time I saw him in person was actually in our flat in Norway back in 2008 uh, when we were there for the Conan game. Oh, wow. Okay. I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in that, in that long. And so that was kind of a cool, it was like a neat little reunion at the panel. It's like, oh my God, Gar. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I'm just, for some reason, I like didn't realize. And then, uh, and then I had already signed up to do some other stuff with Harrison to go do some play testing. Uh, we signed up to play uh, Conan Rise of Monsters. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I, we enjoyed it. We thought it was pretty cool. Um, Good. Yeah, we thought it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's Conan, so it's already got a, a leg up with me. Harrison well, was I, the one I was checking because he, you know, he's not read anything like that and hasn't seen any of the movies or anything. So, um, I have some the... vested interest in that Kickstarter. Yeah. So, uh, it's a, uh, it is an awesome product. Um, I'm going to market right now. Uh, it, it actually is a really slick product. Obviously, it's based on the Conan universe. You know, you you can't you can't get around that. The guys at Pulposaurus are working hand in hand with uh, someone who I work with frequently, and um, I actually did a, a test scenario for that game uh, for them, along with a little bit of fiction and stuff like that. And I'm hoping that uh, you know, we we were chatting a little bit about doing doing some more work for them in the future, especially if the game takes off. So, uh, like I said, I, I while I'm not. My name's not on the box by any means. Um, I have. I, I I would really like to see that project go places. Yeah, no, it for, was, it was cool for loads of different reasons. I was a little disappointed. I I, I I I showed Harrison the name, and I was Conan Rise of Monsters, and I'm like, get it, C R O M, and he was like, I don't get it, and I felt like I had failed as a. It failed in one of my one well, of my get him the dad. get him some of the, get him some of the Howard stories before you subject him to the movies. Oh, I know. No, I've got I've uh, dude. I have a bunch of <laughs> the Howard stuff here. So I'm like, well, when you're done reading that, you'll have to read this too. He's got such a laundry list now. Every time we come back from Gen Con, it's like, oh, you haven't read that? You haven't <laughs> read that? 
You haven't read that? So, but no, that's that was great. And uh, so, listen, before we wrap up here, um, what are you doing now? What should people be on the lookout for? What should uh, um, right now? My uh, the big thing that I'm waiting on because uh, <clears throat> it's it's officially in the hands of the the production the production side of things. It's no longer no longer in in the talent side. I hate to use that word for myself, but you know what I mean. Um, is the uh, Shadowrun Hostile Takeover board game? Okay. Um, I uh, I actually get the I, I'm the lead design that that ga- basically that game is mine. Uh, I built the game and sold it to the uh, Catalyst Game Labs guys last year, and uh, we've been tweaking it and making it all fancy and pretty. And I, I was really hoping that they would have a prototype at Gen Con to show off. Um. But uh, alas, they did not. They had other stuff that kind of came up and uh, took 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 some time and resources away. But I know that it's coming soon, and I am super psyched for people to see that. Uh, that thing dominated my brain for about six months. Um, that was a it. It was a labor of love. I love Shadowrun, and when they when they basically. Uh, grabbed up my pitch for the uh, for their board game I was like I was walking on cloud nine I'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god I get to do this. I get to do the first Shadowrun board game ever so that uh, I'm, I'm excited about that hopefully that will be out in the next handful I don't I don't I again I I'm not sure it's in the back end it's on the, the production side of things um well keep I got a couple uh, I, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple of sweet emails today about uh, uh, potential uh, potential work in the future. Um, I I'm pretty sure I'm ninety percent sure that I uh, I sold a new miniatures game this weekend at Gen Con. Oh, nice. Uh, we uh, obviously no contracts have been written up or anything, but the uh, the clientele in uh, in question. Uh, we did the uh, gypsy handshake, and we're pretty much. Uh, pretty much set to go and i'm uh, writing up the final stuff before we can start getting an ip attached to it but yeah uh things have been very good obviously you know painting and sculpting it's been constant you know whenever whenever i'm not at the computer i'm at the uh at the workshop desk instead so no wow. it's been it's been it's been good um still pitching stuff uh i gotta start putting some uh putting some words down on a novel so Got a lot of a lot of hooks in the water, and I hope that uh, they come up with fish. All right. Well, like I said, definitely keep me posted. Uh, you can always come on if anything's coming out, and you want to promote it. You're always welcome to come on the show and do that. And when your board game is getting released, make sure I know about it so I can tell everybody. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, it, uh, it, it'll you know it, you know it's it's not I'm you know it's not like putting an ad in the paper, but you know some geeks hey, listen it, and they may they may try it. Absolutely, every every other ear that uh, that hears about it is one that didn't the first time. So that, I'm I'm done with that. And if any of the uh, any of your fabulous listeners ever want to reach out to me or anything like that, uh, as they hit my Twitter, um, I'm on it all the time now. Excellent. I've become a I've become a tweeter. <laughs> it gets addictive. It's quite a day. It really, it really does. It really does. <laughs> uh, you know, every time my phone chirps and says, "Ooh, somebody retweeted you. Somebody favorited you," 
uh, or uh, I've got a guy who one of one of my uh, one of my followers is uh, somebody from the Strain. Um, oh really? And he and I he and I have chatted a couple of times uh, on on Twitter, and I'm a big fan of the show. So it was just it was one of those things where I was like, "Ooh, I'm talking to someone kind of famous." <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Which is funny because, you know, at all these shows and conventions and stuff, that's actually not uncommon, you know, to cross paths with with actors and things like that. I'm kind of I'm somewhat used to it, but it's the first time it's ever happened to me on Twitter. So it was, it was like it's like you're my first Twitter celebrity. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Yeah, that's 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 really cool when that happens. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I would say just uh, follow me on Twitter at Seventh Crown. Hit me up on Facebook if anybody wants to chat or whatnot. I am uh, I am always I'm I'm never far from a keyboard. And if uh, anybody wants any tips or advice or just want to to shoot the proverbial, I'm here. All right, fantastic. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on. And uh, once again, hope to have you on again soon to let everybody know when your next thing's coming out. Absolutely! Congrats for the the Gen Con thing. That's really really cool, man. I'm I'm really. Happy it was for you. super. It was super cool, and I hope that I hope they'll have me back in the in the future. It was a it was a lot of fun, and uh, like like I said earlier, I I love to talk. <laughs> so, if anybody can take away anything from my my random gabbering, then uh, uh, then I've done my duty. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, folks, um, I, we're going to bring it back to uh, the show where Chris, you, and I are in studio uh, waiting to pick up from here. So I'll send you back to that. And, Brian, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on. All right, man. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Hey guys, this is Chris Tomlin from the Black Sun, and you're listening to Garage Hammer. That's me, Hamro. How are you, Anyway, I bring no. evil down on your head. <laughs> you go suffer. Come on, for hover guys. Jaguar. Wow. wow. We are back. Okay, um, Games Workshop was at uh, Gen Con. Um, yeah, so you actually did a pretty good job of tweeting what was going on. So The first day, yeah. Uh, now, here's what happened. Some, the guys from England were supposed to be there, and they weren't. I don't know exactly why not. The rumor is something was wrong with visas or passports or something, but, like, they came here and then couldn't come. Like, they, they got mm, turned they got denied at the border. Like, mm. nope. Um, someone joked out that must be the the guy who must be working the, the, the at the, you know, place where they're coming in uh, must be that guy who burned his army. Oh, so, jeez. 
But either way, I went through the first day, and there was a nice guy there. Uh, it was one guy at the booth. I was told, because I, I had actually talked to the guys from GW beforehand, because uh, when I thanked them for uh, sending uh, that Age of Sigmar set to us, mm-hmm. I had asked if they were going to be at Gen Con, and, and if so, is there any chance of getting an interview? And he says, yes, we're going to be there, and we're doing demos, but we're not doing interviews. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, there were no demos. They had a booth up with uh, the painted Sigmar set, like in a case, and above mm-hmm. it on the other shelves were just the sprues and the rules. And then they had a big display case with, uh, you know, a sort of a diorama of the battle with the Age of Sigmar box set again. Just the one guy manning this whole booth, huh? Yep, and he had Age of Sigmar sets for sale, and that's it. Just the box at Age mm-hmm. of Sigmar and the diorama, and he was answering questions. Now, this is a guy who used to work in customer service, and he was, I don't think he was planning on being there, mm-hmm. and he basically had no answers for me. I was really Right, they just needed a body, right? I yeah. mean, I'm sure that crew from the UK, they were the ones that had probably had all the answers. Right. Well, I came back the next day, there was a different guy there, and so I yeah. thought I'd give it another shot. Uh, this guy, I didn't get his name. I know he, I asked him, I asked him if he was in design and he wasn't, but he actually is in sales, but he told me that, uh, he does have some, you know, he could answer some things because, uh, I guess, you know, when the retailers are coming to him with questions that their people are asking, he's mm-hmm. got to get some answers. Right. So a couple well, of let things. me ask you this. Yes. Were there a lot, did you see a lot of AOS box sets being sold? Uh, well, I was by it twice over the two days. For a grand total of about 35 minutes. And during that 35 minutes, uh, they sold two. Okay. So, you know, all things being equal. It's hard to anything in 35 minutes, but. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they were, their booth was very small and it was way in the back corner. You know, so it was kind of hard to get to. And once you got, but I mean, you know, they had it for sale and people were buying it. So. Uh, other people were still looking at it, but I saw two getting purchased because I had to stop to. They stopped talking to me to sell it. So, sure. Um, so here are a few questions, and these are just a few things that I was talking about. Um, and I know I keep asking this. I said, um, it doesn't say that a one is a miss in the rules. You know how it always said one is automatically a miss. I go, so is one? Uh, does one automatically miss? And the guy said, no, absolutely not. And I go, so. If I get my Empire group and I buff them with all these buffs and I get them to one plus to hit and one plus to wound, they auto hit and auto wound? He goes, yep. I go, what do you do for that? He goes, you better shoot them. And I was like, what? He's like, basically, you know, you got to try to take more balanced lists. You got to have a little shooting. You got to have a little bit of everything in your lists because people can do that. And I said, well, what about the one up armor save? Because, I mean, there's nothing less than the three. But there's mm-hmm. magic to give it a two, and then you move him into terrain, and terrain gives you a plus one. That's a one plus armor save. So you can't wound him? He goes, well, you have rend, and that's minus to your armor saves. So mm-hmm. he goes, a minus one to your armor save, minus two to your armor save. That that fixes that. Right. Um, I said, you know, in, in, in the box set at least, the chaos guys don't really have rend. And he's like, well, you know, but in other stuff they do, and as stuff is coming out, there's going to be, yeah, be yeah, you're going to see, see, see that stuff. So there are balances to it. Um, but, yeah, basically you need to make sure you have a little bit of everything to, to handle things like that. And I was like, okay, I, I hear you. Um, I'm not making judgments on it. I'm just telling you what I was told. Sure, right. Um, I did say to him since he's in sales, I go, listen, I know you. You know they've been sending stuff out to podcasts and things like that. They've been reaching out to the community a little bit, saying, hey, you know, take a look at what we're making. I go, any chance that uh, you're going to start telling us things more than a week in advance? And he said, no. Mm. 
No chance at all, huh? No. And, uh, you know, and basically, you know, they can't go into a lot of detail, but basically, you know, it comes down to the rules in England and GW sort of protecting their IP. When they used to put stuff out three months, four months in advance, the people who made alternate stuff would see kind of what was coming out. They had an idea and they would just whip stuff out that looks kind of similar fast. Mm. And you know, games were free. Yeah, free. Yeah. They would steal their sales, basically. Yeah, so they're just they're they're not they they're not gonna it's not gonna happen. So for mm. better or for worse, this is this is the 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 plan. It's gonna be a week ahead pre orders and stuff. Probably two weeks ahead. You know, the rumor stuff comes out. You know, right. that's that's what you're gonna get. Um, I asked him about stuff, and I, I did mention, I'm like, you know, you guys could totally cut and paste the piling in rules from 40K and make this a little easier. I said, I, I appreciate that you want a four-page rule set, but an eight-page rule set would be a lot clearer. And uh, he goes, yeah, but, you know, this is kind of how it is, and they, they kept it sort of you know, a little open. Uh, I said, you know, piling in, do I have to, it's, do I have to move? It's, you know, he just, the, the rule doesn't say you have to move directly toward the closest model. You just have to move toward the closest model. So, like, if you have to go around your guy, you can't. Little things like that I was asking. Mm-hmm. Where it really came down to, I said, I go, listen, um, you know, there's a couple of different things. I go, first of all, the old armies, they're not really as balanced as the new stuff coming out. And, um, you know, it can make for a pretty lousy game. I said, you know, I, have a, I had a friend who summoned up, like, seven units in his first turn with his slan and his engine of the gods and stuff. And, you know, you can't beat that then. And, you know, you get that, well, you know, if you want to be that guy. And I'm like, that's not an answer, you know, because if I go to a tournament and I'm a tournament player, you know. There's going to be a lot of that guy there. And I go, and he goes, well, you know, but he goes, but when you summon a lot of that stuff, it goes to percentages, you know, and it doesn't add to your starting number of models. I go, yeah, but that doesn't help me because, there's no turn limit. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, the rules don't say there's a turn limit. It's like play till you get tired of playing. Right. And he goes, well, yeah, but, you know, he goes, when I play, when we play, you know, because he, he plays the game too as well. He goes, when I play with the other guys who work with us, we just always set a six-turn limit. I'm like, so you house rule it. And he's like, and this was his thing. And love it or love it or hate it, here's GW's basically, the sales guy told me. He goes, um, you know, the rules are really thin. And they are, but there's there's tactics there. He goes, a lot of it's going to be coming in the War Scrolls, and that is definitely the plan. This is the basic bones, and then there's the War Scrolls. And I go, yeah, but, you know, how do I know what to do? Like, uh, do I just bring my entire VC army, which is enormous, and then I just stop putting stuff out when I want to? He goes, well, that's exactly what the rules say, and that's what we do. Uh, and then it becomes sort of a game within a game. This guy puts down this, and so I'm looking at what I have. I go, but then it becomes who who has the most money. Right. You know, like if I can afford five of everything, then I could just put down whatever I could put down the the rock to your scissors every time. Right. You have more options. And it, it, then it goes back to, again, it's, you're going to be that guy. Um, he says sometimes they set up, uh, you know, a certain number of wounds or a certain number of war scrolls. Like, you know, that there was that thing that was floating around that that one GW store had put out for their little mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. He says that it, over the next year, GW is going to have a lot of these in-store things. He goes, he wouldn't call them tournaments so much as events. Okay. You know, like they're not really like tournaments, you know. Sure. They're more events. And they are going to have, they're going to, when these little events come out, apparently they're going to have little comp, little packs, you know, setting up for how many War Scrolls you could bring, things like that. Okay, different requirements. Right. And I said, well, why don't you put some examples of that in your rules? Because everyone doesn't know, everyone, I'm like, you know, no points kind of sucks when we're trying to figure this stuff out. And he goes, he told me straight, he goes, 
we put an example in there and it becomes law. Right. He goes, if we say it and put it in the rule book, even as an example, then suddenly it becomes the thing that you have to do. And so he goes, we're leaving. I guess they don't want to box themselves into that corner. Well, right. And he said, he goes, and and their whole thing is everything we've given you guys for the past how many editions, you all comp. You Mm -hmm. all change the rules. Everybody house rules it for every tournament. He goes, except basically the Midwest. Did he actually say that? Yes. (laughs) These guys know what's going on. That's hilarious. And he goes, um, the Midwest guys, you know, he goes, but every area, he goes, and everyone comps it different. So. We're not going to tell you how you have to do it, you know. Uh, he goes, you you will start to see examples, and he goes, and we have scenarios, and he goes, and in the scenarios they do put turn limits in in the scenarios, and they do put set up things, and you, he goes, you can get ideas from the different scenarios and the things we do. He goes, but they're not gonna they're not gonna lock you in to force you into a certain thing. He goes, uh, you could set up with your friends. He goes, and he was telling me some of the things they do. Some of the things they do is set up a limit of war scrolls and wounds. Uh, sometimes they say we're only going to play about this much, but bring what you want. Like they have almost like a, you know, sort of like they do with uh, War Machine or Malifaux, where you can have like two lists or oh, like a right. sideboard. Remember, sure. Andy was doing that at one of his tournaments. He had the sideboard yeah, yeah. you could do. And he goes, you know, you could set it up like that, where you know you can bring you know a few extra. You know, we're going to play eight War Scrolls, but you can only bring ten or fifteen. You know. So you have a variety there. You can bring a mix and see what your opponent's mm-hmm. putting out. And he goes, he said that was some of the most fun him and his friends had, was saying we're going to play eight War Scrolls with these limits, bring up to 15. So you have almost double it. So as they're putting it out, you can start putting out yours. And so you're, the, the what you choose to put on the table right in front of your opponent sort of becomes a game within the game. But isn't, doesn't that suffer from the same problem of uh, deeper pockets means you have more versatility? Um, I guess. Or is that scenario dependent? Maybe well, not, yeah, that's well, not the that, case. And that's the thing. Everything they play in, he goes, well, you know, we always play with scenarios, even if you're just putting up objectives and things like that. You right. do want to have a lot of terrain. Uh, you want to have terrain all over, including in the middle. You know, he goes, if you just if you play it like we play at tournaments with five pieces of terrain with a big open middle, yes, you're going to have a big scrum in the middle. Where you just shove all your mouths and he goes, you want to put in a bunch of terrain. He goes, all the other games are doing it. Line of sight blocking terrain, lanes of movement. The more terrain you have, the more places you can move for cover and stuff, the better your game's going to be. So these are the things that they were telling me and that they were doing. Um, like I said, I mean, I don't, even in the rules, when they show you how you can pick up, you know, you, you, you get like half the table and you could split it up. Uh, you could mm-hmm. literally decide how you pick. And there were people going, well, I could, you know, because you have to be 12 inches away from your opponent, but you get each half a table. And you could split it halfway the long way, halfway the short way. If you're using a realm of battle board, you could pick th- the three, you know, the two on the left and one on the top, and you could take the two on the right and the one on the bottom. And then there's people going, well, I could just take, you know, six-inch strips in a up-and-down pattern all the way across the board, and that's how I could divide the board up in half. And then no one could place anything. And then, hmm. You know, and the guy's oh, like, yeah, I mean, I've seen people saying that. And it's like, well, yeah, if you want to be a jerk, like, you know, I'm purposely going to split up the board so nobody could place models. Well, the game's right. over. Why would you I do win. that? Right. Yeah. So, but, I mean, basically what it's come down to is they're not putting out more I, I said I go is this you know people talk living document and people are asking about you know are you going to FAQ stuff and he goes you know if they feel it needs clarification they they will you know they will clarify it's, I mean they can it's easy um, but he said a lot of that stuff is going to be in the scenarios that come out in the books 
and in the War Scrolls is where you're going to see mm-hmm. the tactics and the different things for each army where they get special. Um, you know, love it or hate it, that's what it is. He basically said, uh, the other thing they said is, the, the, you know, no army books because um, they're doing these scenarios and the free PDFs because they, you know, this way you don't have to feel like you have to buy an $85 rule book and you don't feel like you have right. to buy... You just spend these, more on models. Yeah, he goes, buy the yeah. models you like and the rules come with them. So you don't have to feel obligated because they know that there's a lot of us out there who buy every army book and you'll spend, right. you know... 15 army books at 50 bucks a pop, $750. Buy $750 for the models. You know, buy the models you like. For better or for worse, that's their plan. They also said that all of these books that are coming out, you know, like like this new one, The Quest for Galmaraz, which is the the new $75 book that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um it you know, the 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 model rules are going to still be in the box with the models. So you don't have to buy the book to get the model rules. And the PDFs are still going to be free online, so you okay. don't have to buy the book to get the model rules. Basically, what you're buying the book for is fluff and new scenarios. So if you're not interested, if you're playing with your friends and you're having fun with your own five or six scenarios that you've made up, and uh, you know, you're just playing with your own set list of – you don't have to buy any book. You literally don't have to buy any of their books. You, you can still stay current as the game progresses without having to yes. buy every release. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's so pretty good. That's their plan. For better or for worse, that's this is this is where the game is. And that's what they're doing with it. Um and it it really seems that the conversation kept going back to yes, you could do things that way, but you're If you want to be that guy. Yeah, well and you're still in that eighth edition mindset with your lists yeah. and with your with your rules and stuff. And it seems if you can step back from that, and um, and then that's kind of where they're at. So okay, for well, I, for worse. I always see a lot of people saying that uh, you know don't you've got to make a clean break between AOS and Warhammer. I think yeah. it's only similar in maybe the logo, <laughs> yeah. but otherwise it's a completely different game. Yeah. So that's about it. That's all I have for today. And I'm okay. sorry, well, I was good. like lecturing, but that's what they told no, me. No, and that's no. the good, news good I have. Intel, good intel. Gathering. Um, you know what? Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and, and wrap up the show, because I know you've got to go, and uh, we're hitting our, our limit here. Okay. So let's Sounds do good. this. Okay. Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. And we're back. Garage Hammer. David Chris. Yeah, wrapping it up. Yep. Um, I wanted to say thank you to a few people before we move on. Um, 
I well, thanks uh, to GW again because um, they sent uh, me the book, the new book for the mm-hmm. not the Quest for Galmaraz, but the you know the 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 New Age Sigmar book that came out a few weeks ago. I got one in the mail yesterday. Wow! So they're sending the book and the box set. Yeah, I got the box. I, I wonder what other. I'd be curious to hear what other casts received a book then as well. Um, I I saw on Twitter that uh, Tomlin got one and Helen mm-hmm. got one and oh, uh, Tomlin got one. That's yeah. that's kind of surprising. I mean, good for Tomlin, but it's no, a he deserves surprising. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, I know, and I think part of the reason he got missed the first time around was because like his website was a little hard to. Like, I guess they had trouble finding stuff for him. So, um, but I don't know. Um, and then I guess the guys from Face Hammer got one so right. this one didn't go as far i really appreciate it like it's a great you know it's the limited edition one so it's really oh, nice wow. and I, I really do appreciate it and i'm going through the book and i'm looking at it. it's very nice um so i appreciate that and i want to thank the guys from bendy boards um you've seen them online at bendy boards uh, on twitter and stuff and they do a lot of the little wood uh you know the MDF would uh, they do a lot of tokens and things like that, oh, and right, you could yeah. buy stuff. And uh, Dan Helan was showing, oh look what I got from Bendy Boards, and he was showing that he got the little tokens for the game, like you know the plus one to hit tokens and plus one okay, to wounds right. and the, you know the little things for the terrains, like if you roll them out or the special you know scenarios, objective markers. Mm-hmm. And then he had uh, they made the little, uh, you know that uh, what do they call it the uh, combat gauge. You know the thirty dollar yeah, like metal the, one, the that's, gold one, yeah. that much. Uh, well, that, that thing apparently is all metal too, so it's nice and heavy. You know, that's why it's thirty dollars, and that's you can wear it as a necklace. Though. Yeah, but uh, they made one the same size out of the you know the the MDF board, mm-hmm. and I saw Dan was showing up, and it had, he had two of them, one with his name and one with Wayne's name on it. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him a message. I said, "Look, I want one. Like, like, how do I order it? Like, you know, because yeah. I only saw them on Twitter, and I'm like." I want to order a set of tokens, and I want to order it, but I only want to order it if you guys can put my name on it because I just I think that's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, dude, uh, we're just give us your address. We're sending them out to you. And they sent me a free set of the tokens. Uh, I got a little uh, one of the things with your name on it too. The uh, oh, cool, the combat gauge. Um, so they sent us the tokens for free. Um, they they just you know, and so I wanted to give them a, 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 a shout out there. Yeah, that was, was really nice. Because nice honestly, I said to him, I said I don't, I'm not looking for freebies. I just I want to buy these. Sure. You know, I, I I they're useful. They're small. They're nice. I want them, and they're like, nah, dude, thanks. Just take them. So that's cool. Woo! So thank you to them. All right, so let's wrap this up, folks. Thanks for listening, um, Chris. When you get back from vacation, we are going to do hopefully an Age of Sigmar demo. So. Yep. Um, we'll get your final Finally. opinion. <laughs> and um, if once, I think I think next episode is probably going to be your last, isn't it? Your last official. Uh, I yeah. Unless you need more time to you know resolve the coho situation. Uh, know, that's, ne- that's never getting resolved. That before you go, because you're just I'm, I've got I've already got people lined up. I'm going to have a sort of rotating second chair gotcha. until okay. someone is comfortable. So we're good with that. But as a, as an official episode, next episode I believe is your last. So. Folks, tune in. It'll be exciting. Ooh, exciting. The drama. Well, there'll be, I'm certain there'll be voicemails and, 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 and tears and, and death threats. And things, and... Oh, sure. So, <laughs> all right. Well, that's that, folks. Uh, tune in for uh, 127 in a couple of weeks. And thank you so much for sticking with us and listening. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Bye. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. 
If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, follow David at Garage Hammer, and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at garagehammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at garagehammer.net. And you can reach both of us through garagehammer at live.com. If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.